Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Uh, do you remember a fellow named Goose Gossage? I do remember a fellow named Goose Gossage. Do you remember what uniform number he wore for the Oakland uh, Athletics? Jeez, was it? I hope it was 54. It was big old 54! All right, this is Goose Gossage week. This is Goose we'll be Gossage. able to keep this going at least through the 90s. <laughs> yeah, 90 through 99. Hope well, you like hearing about football players, because yeah. we're going to get into their territory pretty There'll soon. There'll be a lot of fucking Warren Sapp and uh, Michael Strahan. And, uh, Welcome to week Reggie White. Yeah, maybe we'll get some Wayne Gretzky in there, mix it up a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, so this is 54. That's a ton. Don't do the math. It makes me so depressed every time you do the math, so don't do it. Uh, it's terrifying. It's terrifying that we're still below that one particular threshold that I mentioned last time we did this. Well, I'm just... Uh, <clears throat> I, I'm ready to I'm ready to get started because this is going to be a four-hour pod. I got a lot of notes. Well, here's the way it goes. Uh, we're going to do them in order of the worst scoring series last week to the best scoring series last week. No surprise, last week the worst scoring series was Voyager. Mm. This week we watched Fair Trade. Mm. <laughs> I'm glad you played that part that I did not initially recognize. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, yeah. disaster of a song. Well, this episode's kind of like a, a low-rent version of something that would happen in Star Wars, so I picked part of the uh, Cantina song that, you know, you don't usually hear. Yeah, they go to a, a, a poorly lit trading post. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And they meet a guy who sells death sticks and all kinds of shit. Anyway, uh, do you know, this is a fun one, we don't talk about Star Wars much, do you know canonically what genre of music that is? Oh, canonically? Oh. Yeah, in-universe. What genre of music the band Figure and Dan and the Modal Nodes plays? Uh, space jazz. Matthew, if only they had chosen space jazz. <laughs> but because it? it was the 70s and George Lucas was never cool, right. uh, he did not know any better when he picked the genre name, or whoever did it, picked the genre name, Jizz. No! J-I-double-Z. You can't call it that! <laughs> you can't say that! <laughs> No one ever said you couldn't say that? Because you, you can't say that. Dog, in 1977, he didn't know what jizz meant. They play in jizz music? That's no one okay. at Lucasfilm... I don't know if the word jizz for ejaculate <laughs> wasn't in common coinage at the time. Yeah, when did people By the way, this saying... podcast is explicit. That's, I think, the number one reason why this will never be a popular Star Trek podcast. When did people start and stop saying the word jism? Uh, this is a good question. Because I think that will sort of narrow down when people knew the that there was a word jizz. 
Let's try, uh, let's see what Wardnick has to say about Jism. Yeah, I told you I have a ton of notes and there's going to be a four-hour pod and you immediately took us on this uh, little detour. This little jizzy detour. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Etymology is unknown. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Okay. Well, well, here's the here's the thing. It's just they give you a lot of example sentences, so they don't list an etymology. That's too bad. Although in their example sentences, someone asserts that it comes from the same root as jazz. What? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you know? Do you, maybe then maybe you, know you how, said it right. Maybe it's right. You know how sometimes people <laughs> would call joints jazz cigarettes. <laughs> What if it's short for jazz milk? Maybe. I mean, because then maybe he chose the exact right genre. And then also, like, I mean, is that why people say skeet? Is that like a takeoff scat? Oh, shit. Is that is that scat milk? <laughs> Matthew, what happened to this fucking board? All episode? right. So Neelix <clears throat> complains that Tuvok wouldn't let him go on security rounds and says he wants to do more for Voyager beyond his current role of... Uh, Guy with the hairy feet. Um, then he tells Balana that he's been studying engineering, too, but she blows him off even harder than um, Tuvok did. Neelix gets called to the bridge because they're about to enter some weird clouds. Neelix says it's called the Necrid Expanse. Credits? Yeah, not a good time to go to credits. This is not an effective teaser. No. Uh, before we go any further, eh, I guess we can do it. Uh, do it later. I was just going to say that... Mm-hmm. You're right that Balana blows him off more, but she's much busier than Tuvok. Tuvok I, is really just walking. Tuvok. Tuvok is really checked out on this procedure. <laughs> he's like, he's huh? not interested in helping Neelix grow as an individual at all. No, I'm not surprised. He's probably just going to make him run laps when he shows up tomorrow. Yeah, we do know what his teaching style is. What happens after <clears> the credits? <throat> the Expanse is too large to go around. in a That's a Voyager staple, so they'll have to go through it. Neelix says there's a trading outpost at the entrance to the Expanse, so uh, they go there to stock up on unnamed provisions. The, yeah. guy, the guy in charge is kind of a tool, but he's willing to help them get their supplies. Um, uh, once on the trading post, Neelix somehow not only runs into another Talaxian, but actually his good old friend Wixaban. Yeah. He tells Wixaban that he may not be on Voyager much longer as he's out of useful guidance for uh, Janeway. And uh, he's never been further than this trading post, so all this shit that they're going to see in the uh, Necrid Expanse is probably going to be beyond him. Yep. <clears throat> and, for some reason, he thinks they're going to turn him off the fucking ship. Yeah, they're just going to th- straight up, they're going to put him in the pod, and it's not going to be yellow alert. Or whatever. Like, he doesn't remember uh, when they just locked Suter in his quarters with gardening implements. <laughs> Or the crime of being a serial killer. They built some handles on his door so they could lock it that way. Right, basically. Uh, I'm just going to call the guy Wix from now on. Wix visits Neelix on Voyager and tells him he knows how to get those supplies Voyager needs. And a map for the Expanse. But he needs Neelix to keep his little side hustle, uh, delivering medical supplies, a secret. And uh, they need to borrow a shuttle. So Neelix agrees. Uh, The deal... uh, Neelix and Wix, do they have any kind of past? <laughs> oh, we get to hear a whole lot about it. Um, okay. 
The deal goes bad when Wix's contact tries to kill them after handing over the medical supplies, which are dang old drugs. Dang, dang drugs. Bunch uh, of drugs. When Neelix returns to Voyager, Janeway and the station master are there to let the senior staff know there was a fucking murder on the station and a Federation phaser signature was detected. That was Neelix's buddy. Yeah, little <clears throat> Wix. Um, Tuvok brings in Neelix to ask about Wix and eventually asks for Neelix's help in interrogating him. Wix lies to Tuvok and then afterward tells Neelix about the Kolati traders who are after them for botching the drug deal. Uh, he can appease them with some warp plasma from Voyager, and he needs Neelix's help to steal it. Neelix refuses, and soon he's chatting with Tom Paris about how it's the lying that really got Tom Paris in trouble, not all the crimes. No. Um, we'll talk about that, that, uh, there's some, it feels like a mistake was made. <laughs> yeah. Then I guess Neelix is like, yeah, I'll steal the shit, I don't care. But he's not, like, a good thief, so he spends some time chatting with Vorik. About how wonderful Voyager is. That's right. Our good buddy Vorik just showed up. <clears throat> about how wonderful Voyager is instead of like getting down to business and stealing the shit. And then when he actually gets to the warp plasma, he changes his mind again and decides not to steal after all. Yeah, he just looked at that ball cock and couldn't do it. That's right. Uh, while he's explaining it to Wix, he sees Paris and Chakotay getting arrested for murder. Uh, Barat. Ba- Barat? That's the name of the uh, station guy. Yeah. He's like... um. <laughs> He's like the Beast from that TV, Beauty and the Beast. I'm trying to remember but, who Marshawn thinks played the Beast. And but if that guy up, was played by Ted Danson. Who, who, that's who this guy is. Who played the Beast? Dog, no one knows. Uh, she thought it was... I'm going to have to ask her later who she thought it was that made me laugh so hard. Um, uh, Barat and Janeway get real yelly with each other because he has some weak evidence against her, uh, her two good boys, Chakotay and Tom Paris. Uh, mainly that they talked to a drug dealer. They didn't even mean to. The guy just kind of came after him, and uh, Chakotay was very clear that he says no to drugs. Um, <clears throat> the guy declares that somebody will spend 50 years in cryostatic suspension, no matter what, even if it's the janitor or Janeway's dog. Neelix goes to Barat and says he's responsible, so he, you know you can just let these guys go. I did it. Uh, he and Wix also tell Barat about their great plan to set up the Kolati so he can take them down in exchange for their freedom. Neelix and Wix meet the Kolati traders, and then they realize the pla- uh, the traders realize the plasma sample they're bartering with is not from Voyager, uh, and Neelix tries to place them under a weird citizen's arrest. But when Barat's men show up to actually arrest them, the Kolati traders, uh, or one of them fires his weapon and ignites the plasma and kills one of the Kolati uh, and knocks Neelix unconscious. He wakes up on Voyager's sick bay, Wix having left in his shuttle while he was uh, out cold. Janeway comes in and lectures him and he admits all of this shit was because he felt useless and wanted to help and that he knew he wouldn't be able to help moving forward. He needed him to have a map to get to the, through the stupid expanse. Janeway punishes him in a way that makes him feel like part of the gang, so everything's fine, I guess. All the smuggling and the murder are like, no big deal. Well, she's, she's going to have to paint the nacelles or whatever the fuck she sent him to do. Yeah. Scrub the deuterium manifolds is what I wrote down, but that doesn't seem real. Yeah, there you go. She, she gave him a Scrub s- them with a sponge, do you think? She, she gave him a real Starfleet punishment. She tells him he's not gonna, 
he volunteers to leave the ship, and she's like, you're not getting off that easy. Yeah. She You're going to have to think about what you did for two weeks. <laughs> she gives him one of those TV punishments that makes him smile. Yeah. Um, Except that or, in a better show, there would be a sense that the uh, captain knew it wasn't really a punishment. Like, um, like yeah, but you know, here's the example that I thought of immediately. That episode of 30 Rock where yeah. uh, Liz Lemon tries to get uh, Floyd's girlfriend, Liz Lemler, fired. Right. And then uh, Jack Donaghy says because she made it a hostile workplace, she has to transfer He has to transfer Liz Lemler to another region or something like that. And it's like, uh, it turns out it wasn't really a punishment. Right. Sure. Yes, like that. That would have been better than this. Where she goes, you gotta, I don't know, go scrub the, the deuter- deuterium? Dopterians? Go scrub the Dopterians. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, hey, uh, this Neelix vehicle. Well, yeah. what was it? I will say that of the episodes this week, this is the one I had the the hardest time with. So, was it something you felt like you kind of understood what they were doing, but it was hard to put it into a like a take? Yeah, I mean, sort of. It's like uh, so. So where I landed with this was you can't demonstrate your value to good people by running schemes. Yeah. If, of course, if Neelix had just talked to Janeway about, you know, like, hey, we're coming up on the edge of my usefulness, like, this would all immediately have gone away. Yeah, because she would have reassured him up front that she wasn't going to put him in the pod. But, like, nine, 90% of Star Trek interpersonal problems go away if anyone just talks about anything. So, even after that mistake, like, just trying to secretly scheme through it was, was never going to work. I think it's a fine take, but it's not sci-fi in any way. Yeah. Oh, everything about this felt like a weird after-school special. Yeah, this is basically an after-school special. Uh, I did give it... I gave it as many as five points. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the take, but yeah. it doesn't need to be done in Star Trek. I had the exact same feeling. I gave it a five, also, that it was, like, some straight-down-the-line after-school special shit. I had, uh... You gotta remove yourself from bad influences if you really want your life to change. So, you talked about the backstory between these two. They used to, I don't know, be smugglers together now? Smugglers of contraband? He's got, like, nine backstories, Neelix. The thing about Neelix is when we meet him, it seems like he's been looking out for Kess forever, but it's like, nah, she's only a year old at yeah, that point. Yeah, he could not so, have been doing that very long. A year before that, he was doing God knows what. Yeah. He's got a lot um, of backstories. So, He was yeah. a fucking uh, military deserter, right? Remember that in Jatrell? Uh, he was a, a weird junk trader. That's that's how we meet right. him. He's in that nasty old shuttle with all the junk he's trying to sell to nobody. Yeah, he's like kind of a, a scavenger. He probably has done some smuggling, etc., etc. Something went wrong on this one planet. Wix took the fall for him. Yeah. Yeah, now he's got this, yeah, this, this criminal backstory. He's trying to get out, but Wix is dragging him back in. Yeah. Etc. So he now he wants to show that he's as good as all these Starfleet guys like Vorik or whoever, yeah. uh, and be useful to them and help them out. But uh, as soon as he gets into Wix's orbit, he just goes right back to all the smuggling and the lies and the murders. Um. So he's he. It's like you have to get away from bad influences. I think maybe is what it's saying. Maybe I don't know. <clears throat> that was a five for me. Oh, so weirdly we agree. Ben also gives it a five, by the way. All right, then. 
we can we can shut the show down right we all agree <laughs> uh he says even for a good person it's easy to make uh small incrementally bad decisions and find yourself in real trouble especially if you're feeling vulnerable so this is the thing that i struggled with because neelix neelix is having a, a bad couple of weeks and it, it never comes up in this and i wish it had but kes just left him it's true she left him in a weird way yeah and so it's like um is he vulnerable to this kind of dumb scheme because because of his bad emotions that he's not dealing with or is he vulnerable uh to this kind of scheme because he didn't re- this is really the only life he's ever known outside of voyager and so he doesn't have a lot of other tools in his toolkit so i just, I just kind of didn't get into that yeah and just said don't scheme yeah don't do it <laughs> don't do the schemes uh, ben says it's sort of an okay take but it doesn't feel especially compelling in the voyager setting i think we all agreed i think it's just like yeah okay this is tv but is this star trek um he gave it a three on execution too yeah uh let's see yeah he uh, neelix doesn't tell janeway first up front um he said he hopes there's a twist that he actually did <laughs> but no <laughs> that twist never came it doesn't seem to be the case. There's not a thing at the end where Janeway says, yeah, I know. The, you told me. You yeah. told me this was basically the edge of your We had this conversation experience. off screen three weeks ago. Um, problem is, he, uh, Ben says, he's like the 10th person to betray Voyager at this point. And yeah. somehow it's this big-ass breach of trust. Um, I mean, it is true that the last time... Well, okay, the last time we saw Neil, he was getting impaled by a bug and dragged off to God knows where, and Janeway did not go after <laughs> no him. No one even looked for but, him. <laughs> no one went looking for him at all. He probably but does feel ignore, pretty useless. If you ignore that aspect, right before that, she was talking about making him Voyager's uh, unofficial ambassador or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, praising him for his good handling of those um, very dramatic aliens. So. You suppose four days later, somebody went into the mess hall and they were looking for some of that, uh, some of those Leo- <laughs> Leola root stews. And they or just something. found him like under a shelf. And they went, hey, where's Neelix? And then they ran some internal scans and he'd been in a Jeffrey's tube all crumpled up for four days or something. <laughs> <laughs> and they just went, oh shit, there he is. Oh shit, he never, when we blew up the bomb, it never got to him. He's in real bad shape. <laughs> He's now. just laying there. Um, what did, um, oh, it's doesn't a- somebody used to run this place? I remember feeling annoyed. <laughs> yeah, every time I used to walk in here, I was pretty pissed off. What did you yeah. give it for execution? Uh, let's see. Neelix has some real childlike fears in this episode that don't seem quite legit. Um, yeah. Like a character in a family sitcom who does something bad because he's such a soft, sweet boy inside. Um, I feel like, and again, I feel like Neelix gets a new backstory every time it's a Neelix-focused episode. So it's just like, what's it going to be next time? What's going to be his new backstory? What did he used to do? Was he a, a fucking knight? Was there a dragon? Like, what's happening? Why is he different every time? I mean, we so we know from Jatrell mm-hmm. that he had that weird life, semi-military life. Yeah, he was the military deserter. Right. He like, I left the military and my whole planet got blown up or whatever. No, but it would be wild if, if three weeks from now, just as an aside, Neelix is like, I did a lot of rapes. And you'd be like, whoa! <laughs> God damn, this dude and Wicks were getting busy. Someone was like, Neelix is the quirk of this show, and they didn't realize what that meant. That's right. They, they, someone said that. They just meant he's the one who spends all the time in makeup, but this writer took it too far. Um, Janeway pulls up a card, refuses to punish her crew for the very bad things they do. Um, finally, it's really too bad that the Neelix episodes are always crap. 
because I still think he's the best actor on the show. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Honestly, uh, even in dumb Neelix-heavy episodes, he's never the worst part of the episode. Yeah, it's like they never give him anything interesting to do. The whole time I was like, he's... He's still better than the others, but this is not a good story. I don't care about it at all. No. Which is kind of like Quark on DS9. There's just not a lot of useful stuff that they have him doing, even though he's the only one who can act or whatever. So That's problematic that you know the stakes aren't real. Like, you know that Neelix is not really in jeopardy if he can't come up with something useful to contribute to Voyager, right? Yes, that is. Well, you know as soon as he says it, that's just his weird emotions. Right. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was dull. It didn't offend me. It was a four. Well, we're in lockstep again. I also gave it a four. Um, so much Vorik in this episode. Yeah, out of nowhere. Who is this guy? And yet, and yet he does nothing. <laughs> he just shows up four or five times. He has a bunch of lines. It's not like... He, but they gave him a name, which is always a good sign. But yeah. he also has a bunch of lines. Is this the time... Like, that, I know mean, we've talked about this many times in the past, but why don't we just say it? They used the same actor who played Torek in a yes. season seven episode of TNG. That's correct. And they made him a Vulcan like he was in that episode, and they renamed him Vorik. Producer's secret is that they're twins, by the way. That's always what I've imagined, because what other what's the explanation here? That he <laughs> that he did a murder and changed his name but wasn't good at it? Vulcans look like that sometimes. Listen, <laughs> it's so much e- at least it's so much easier to explain. Torek and Vorik because their names are similar and you can just go, they're probably related. They're twin brothers. Then it is Nick Lacarno and Tom Paris. To explain Nick Lacarno <laughs> and Tom Paris. Voyager, dude. Voyager! Uh, at the end, Neelix goes in and has a conversation with him and I'm like, alright, here's the payoff for all this Vorik. Yeah. Vorik's gonna be the one that turns him around and it's gonna be like, oh, see, he's not even an important member of this crew. Yeah. But he's got a place and Neelix is gonna, no. No, dude. Nope, you're right. The conversation is, Neelix is basically like, man, I fucking love Voyager. And Vork's like, yeah. yeah. It's pretty great. Anyway, you going into the Jeffries tube or what? <laughs> you said What's you were going to go in there. You haven't gone in there yet, so. You, you taking that bag in there? I'm not going to ask questions. I went ahead. Have, I opened the door. you have like door. a thermos in there? Do you have a plasma therm? Ah, fuck it. Door's open, care. but it's uh, it's really hot in there and the heat's coming out. It's coming out into the room. So can you go just in? Like I, just like I didn't care when you very suspiciously tried to get me out of your kitchen earlier when Wix was around. <laughs> I don't care about this either. In or so out, it's like Neelix, there's just no payoff for no no payoff for Vork. Yeah. Um, does Tuvok not know that Neelix was off with a shuttle, which of course always has a phaser or two on it during the murder? Or can he not suspect a crew member? Or did he need a dog to tell him any of this? <laughs> no dog witness. That was his weakness. I mean... You're right, because he had to have asked for that shuttle. So there must yeah. be an official log that he took that shuttle out. A better version of this show would have referenced his breakup with Kess, and also it would have maybe helped explain why he was... Uh, so excited to start hanging out with scuzzy old wicks again yeah you know like you get divorced and then you take up with your old rabble rousing friends that you haven't seen since you settled down yeah because you're gonna and get back the old you they're all a bunch of dave severins before that two-year-old harpy stole your soul exactly anyway they don't mention any of that so whatever maybe it's because the breakup was so ambiguous in the first place yeah. Where, like, she was taken over by an entity or whatever, and it was like, yeah, it I don't want to be with you anymore, and then that like, just kind of... it wasn't fully her that broke up with him, <laughs> it just but it seems like they're sticking with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
this ep- I think the big problem is this episode's a little wishy-washy. Like, Neelix keeps saying this is wrong, and he doesn't want to lie, but he just keeps doing it over and over and over, and they his motivations are never explored. Yeah. Like, how much of it is he trying to prove he's still useful? How much is a debt to this guy who took a fall for him once? Uh, and also, uh, Janeway shouldn't have invoked the episode The First Duty at the end of this, because it's a better episode. I know. There's a lot and of when that. And when she repeats parts of Picard's The First Duty speech, it's like, uh, so it, it makes it makes it worse. It's like, oh, I guess Picard was just rattling off some Starfleet lip service at Wesley. That's right. Instead well, of giving him a profound speech that turned him around on and made him blow the whistle on the whole thing. If there's one thing we've learned, it's that whatever Star Trek comes later ruins what happened before. Right? That's what Enterprise is always doing. In this case, Voyager yeah. was just trying to ruin First Duty. It's just such a little thing. Like, she could have just said, you know, uh, we need we need to have honesty on this ship because we're all in this together. But no, the, she goes ahead and says the first duty of a Starfleet officer is to the truth. And they're like, oh. great, great, great. Is she going to say whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth? <laughs> She's going to do the whole thing word for word. She didn't. <laughs> We're going to see this in the DS9 episode this week, too, where it's just like, it's don't, please do not remind us of an episode that is better than the episode you're doing. And I didn't even mind the DS9, but I'm just saying. Uh, we'll get into it. I almost have the opposite opinion. Oh. I, I know what you're going to say. I think that the episode of DS9 we watched at least had the potential to be better than The Wounded. Oh, wow. Okay. Because we, we will care about it. the we care about the people involved, whows we don't know Ben Maxwell at all. Nobody is a and jackal, we, and we we hardly know O'Brien, and we don't. Yeah, fuck it. We'll talk about it. We're definitely <laughs> going to end up talking. It's going to be a four hour pod, so let's just get into it. <laughs> um, world building. Yeah, what you got? Uh, we have, of course, the Necrid Expanse. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Um which I chose to write as Voyager is going somewhere that's even more unknown. Yes. They're Somehow at the more edge unknown of, than they them. have no guide from this point yeah. onward, right? They don't act like that sinister because Neelix doesn't reveal that to Janeway till the end of the episode, but whatever. Also, it's not like they got a bunch of stories like the, the Delphic Expanse or whatever it's called. Right. Cryostatic suspension. Mm-hmm. Pergeum. <laughs> Spindle bearings. Is per- I gave it two. Was Pergeum the name of an episode already? I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. It's definitely come up before. <laughs> yeah. Wow, we really are in lockstep. I had it as a two as well. I had some of the same stuff. The Necrot Expanse, thousands of light years wide. It's unclear how long it's going to take them to like zip through it. Um, yeah, Pergeum... Cryostatic suspension. Uh, the crime for like everything on this way station is fifty years of of suspension of cryostatic suspension. It definitely it uh, it seems either that the crime for everything is fifty years, as you said, or the crime for drug smuggling and murder are the same. Or, <laughs> and here's the possibility: mm. they don't even charge people with murder on this station. <laughs> That's right. That could be it. And the charge was only ever going to be for drug smuggling. Maybe the uh, the damn stasis thing only has one setting. It's just 50 years or nothing. Um, I, 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 Moesha came on and I snapped the timer <laughs> we off. We can only do so. 50 years now, so 50 that's what years. you're getting. 
the Ubians. Wix was in one of their prisons for a while. Kolati traders. Mean as fire snakes and faces sharp as Nausicans. Yep. Um, Boy Ben wrote that too. I mean the oh, fire good. snakes part. Oh, okay. Uh, not a ton here, and I doubt we'll ever hear of the Necron Expanse again, honestly. Didn't nah, you get the be, feeling that they, they won't? I feel like they won't be in it next time. Yeah, I did sure. not get the feeling that this is like what Enterprise is doing, where they're going to go into this territory. I feel nah, like it's going to be 10 million light years wide and <laughs> half a light year long, and they'll just like shoot right through <laughs> yeah, it. That's right. Uh, prove me wrong, Voyager. Yeah, it was a two for me. By the way, this thing is 10,000 fucking light years wide, I think is what they say. Yeah. They don't see it until they're right on top of it. Yeah, they don't appear. It should to be know. a huge feature in the galaxy. You think people would have talked about it a lot before they got to this point, especially because they've been visiting every planet, just all of them. Yeah. Uh, ben had a three on world building. I don't know if we already mentioned that. Um, uh, we didn't. Let's see what else he's got. Uh, Vorek says he sees no reason why the cook shouldn't be allowed in the Jeffrey's tube since he's so interested in engineering. <laughs> I mean, sort of. I don't know if that's world building, but it's great. They they had both cleared it with Milan already, but yeah. Yep. Um, let's see. Cryostasis is sort of a punishment, possibly an ineffective one. That's at least the argument that they've been making, because crimes keep happening on the station. Uh, yeah, stuff about the Colati. So for him, it he's seems a like two- the standard three. Yeah, he's a two on characterization, though. Yes. So it's not only is Neelix useless, but he's easily turned into a gullible smuggler. He's insecure, but we knew that already. And oh, Vork yeah. is gullible for a Vulcan. Vulcans are mad gullible. They're just not intellectually curious, is what we found out. We just we just <laughs> learn about them that they basically They don't care. Yeah. Uh, they got a high powered brain, but they hate to use it. Let's see. Uh where are you on characterization? Neelix trying to work security now and engineering. I guess we were right last week or last time we did this when we said he was just trying everything to see what sticks. Um, he knows he has no more expertise left once they enter the expanse. Uh, another backstory, smuggling contraband with weirdo Wixo. He never really comes clean with Janeway until she hears it all from Barat first, which you'd think would make her much angrier. It's not like he comes clean in the end. He just wakes up and she knows everything. And yeah, that's true. She she got to hear all of this from Barat. Yeah. My name is Barat. <laughs> You'll always be Sean Luke to me. What an asshole. Hey, yeah, but come, I come on, come on, man. I uh, I've had come a, on. I've had a hard time though. Can I? I want to go by Barat. I've decided I'm Barat now. The first thing I said to you after I showed you my true form was, my name is Barat. Yes, but to me. You recognize that that was significant in some way. But in my eyes, you'll always be my son, John luke the human. Okay, but now it's like you're denying my identity. It's okay, I'm going to put you in the holodeck and we're going to make you a human forever. Is um, it actually Barash? I don't remember. I think it's Barash. <laughs> we'll get to it. Uh, let's see. Balana doesn't like traditional Klingon foods so very much. Um, At least not cold, gach. We no. know it's supposed to be served raw. Chakotay just says no to drugs. Paris thinks his mistake was lying and not all the crimes he was accused of. I can't even remember if they told us what he did to get into the clink, but damn, it sounds like he's talking about the Colvern Starburst, doesn't he it? He joined the fucking Maquis is what he did. Doesn't it sound like he's talking about the Colvern Starburst? Yeah, that's it's a big problem is that <laughs> I think the writers forgot that this isn't Nick Locarno. I'm so confused. Nick Locarno was the one who made a mistake. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes, 
But then I lied about it. No, that's Nick Locarno. <laughs> yeah, it's not, you joined the Maquis, a terrorist organization. It's not really the same thing. Yeah, I was very confused by that. Uh, yeah, it seems like the writers forgot that one. And then Janeway, like I said, gives a real Star Starfleet punishment where she makes the guy she's punishing smile a lot about how happy he is to be on Voyager or whatever. Uh, for me, it's only a four. Well... Uh, this is where we part ways. I liked it even one less. I only gave it three. Uh, we were so close. Uh, Neelix manages to stay sort of likable in this one. Yes. He's the only despite, reason it's still a four for me. Despite all. Which is good. And I guess I liked Paris being the only one who doesn't brush him off when he's out helping around the ship. Yeah. Like, Paris is the only one who's like, yeah, you can help me. Well, I got, I'm doing a dumb thing right now. He's done a lot of cross-training, too, so he knows what yeah. it's like. Uh, Tuvok comes off as bored and dumb in this one. Vulcan's real, real cranky. Yeah. And Janeway's, she's like mad at him, but she tries to reassure him, but she's not good at it. No. it we've just, we've just seen better, even from the Voyager crew. I agree. Chakotay's in it too, but he mostly is just there to have a dumb look on his face when he gets arrested. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Well, dang, we just went and did it. We did do it. I got some quick hitters, though. Hit it. Uh, meet me in my office in one hour, says the guy to Janeway. Her response, Neelix, Chakotay, Tom, you're with me. What are you going to do for the next... Are you guys going to have lunch first or something? <laughs> or He just said in one hour. That's a very good question. Yeah, not This sure. is the fucking opposite of, I'm, I'm beaming aboard at 1,300 hours. Cut to data. Almost 1,300 hours now, sir. <laughs> That was a it's weird like, thing to do. It's like, how does that happen? In a, in the, was there a draft where they cut away to something else in between there, and that's why it was an hour? Or did they just say, meet me in my office in one hour is something this guy would say, like he's going to make them wait, but then, like, we can't have them wait, so. Yeah, I don't, yeah, they should not have made him specifically say one hour. Yeah. They should have said, come to my office. <laughs> this old boy looks like Ted Danson. <laughs> Neelix goes up to uh, a guy and he says, I see you're selling maps. And the man says, I have coordinate charts for all of the local colonies. But what we see is three pieces of dirty glassware. <laughs> That's what he appears to be selling, like a vase and some kind of weird flask. And none of it's clean. And he's gently rearranging this glassware on top of something metal. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how Neelix knew this guy sold maps. I don't know... Why, Why is he pretending say, not to sell maps? Would you like to buy some glassware while you're here? Why is he both pretending not to sell maps and then telling everyone who comes by he sells nothing? Well, I've maps. never seen you before, but yes, I have <laughs> coordinate charts for all the local mining colonies. You can't see them, but they're very real, I assure you. Uh, <laughs> and I had the sort of the same note that Ben had, which is how does cryostatic suspension work as a punishment? Do you just wake up and it's like... The world has changed. Things are not as they once were. Yeah, Barat died 35 years ago. Joke's on him. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I gave best actor to Neelix and worst actor to Tosin, the Kolati. He was not good. I didn't think he was doing anything useful or good. No. Uh, I technically nominated Barat for worst actor, but I also know that other guy sucked. Um, Vorik? His wig is a real wild show. <laughs> it's like fucking Monster Jam meets Adventure Time up there. That's how wild his hair is. 
Like, this is the worst <laughs> wig I've ever seen. They couldn't get that guy a bowl cut? <sighs> um, he's just... like, look, I know you said my name five times in this episode, and I have 18 lines, but I'm not cutting my hair. So <laughs> slap a wig on it. That's right. My hair is my life, and I don't cut it. I cut it once for an episode called Lower Decks, and I'll never make that mistake again. Um, is Neelix supposed to remember the coordinates of every way station in the quadrant off the top of his head? Because Jane, he goes, "There's a there's an old trading post uh, right in right as you enter the expanse," and she's like, "What are the coordinates?" And he's like, "Um, let's see." And then uh, whatever camera, whoever is like, oh, I found it on the right. scanners. And it's like, wait, is Neelix literally supposed to just like rattle off the coordinates of the station he visited yeah, once 10 years we're ago? We're supposed to be like, oh, Neelix is, this is Neelix is running yeah. out of knowledge. But no, you're right. That's a very stupid question to ask. He's not holding a pad or yeah, anything. If I went How to the some, fuck would he know the coordinates? If I went to some store 10 years ago and you wanted me to give you the address, I'd be like, I don't fucking know. And fuck you. Just Google it. I don't know. Like also, uh, like his dirty nasty shuttle uses the same coordinate system as voyager so that <laughs> like even if he could remember it it would be the same right uh that's a seven but spelled it's spelled out and seven is the first letter um <laughs> <laughs> that's his coordinate system uh yeah and then just worst actor barat was my uh my candidate that's all i had <clears throat> uh ben points out that spindle bearings are real well that's and good. That that's an odd thing to get right what I mean, it is. It, what's odd about it is that he. I mean, he said that they needed this spindle bearings for the dilithium manifold or whatever, right? Some nonsense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it is weird that they didn't say they needed <laughs> neutron fluxing spindle bearings or something <laughs> nonsensical like that. Did he have any notes about the map seller that might help us? Because that'd be uh, good. It'd be good if he it had. It does. Those. It does not appear that no. he did. All right, it's a mystery then. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good. We only spent how how long did we spend on this one? Normally about thirty five minutes. About thirty five. Slightly shorter than we normally spend on Voyager, which is weird because it was not as bad as some Voyagers have been. I think the Voyagers get so much time because we have so many complaints. Yeah. Or this, whereas this one just sort of didn't work, and yeah. it's not. But it wasn't. You know, it wasn't the flying fucking bugs. No, <laughs> the flying bugs was a real nasty one. For, I mean, for one thing, we didn't even have to see any of that uh, leisure program on the holodeck in this one. That's true. They didn't show it that to us at all. first episode at of the season. After Neelix helps Tom find the right uh, pelican case for whatever he's going to take down to the station. You're right. Uh, Tom Paris does say, hey, we're going to the uh, resort. Yep. Do you want to go with? And he's like, ah, no, I'm going to bed early. But secretly, he's going to go steal dilithium or uh, <laughs> yeah. plasma. I was, yeah, I was we worried. don't have to see it. I was, sub- I was very afraid we were going to be in there. <clears throat> Fourth place last week yeah. uh, was Deep Space Nine. Yes, it had, a, it had an off week. This week, we watched Defiant. <clears throat> Bow. Kira is put out by all of the dumb administrative work she has to do, and she makes the mistake of yelling at a doctor, Bashir, who relieves yep. her of duty and makes her spend time at Quark's. She's just... Mm, they go to the Replimat, don't they? Oh, yeah, but he tells her, 
you hear and then these... Quark shows up and says he's going to keep an eye on her. Has Quark started managing the rifle match? <laughs> he, he tells her, here are these chips, you have to spend them at Quark's. And he gives her a hollow stick. Yes, so there's going to be some Quark's time in there. Because she has to do it and Quark will verify whether she did. Right. She has just gotten over her bad attitude and gone, Ah, oh, shucks, what a great family we all have here. And then William Thelonious Riker walks in and starts a big old flirt war with her. Credits. Yeah. Riker. I mean, I, I, mean, I may have written, Bashir orders her off duty and takes her to eat a Jumja stick. <laughs> when holy shit, it's Will Riker and he wants to fuck. That's right. Riker explains to Cisco that he's here for shore leave or something and that he had been here about a year ago and had such a good time at Quark's blah blah blah. Kira and Dax gossip about him outside, and then later Kira bumps into Riker randomly again, and she agrees to take him on a tour of the station, and he specifically asks if he can see the Defiant for, like, no reason. This is because he calls Quark once in, what, like, Unification, or... Yeah, in one of those ones where they're like, we have another show, you want to watch it? And Quark tells him where to go to look for something or some horse shit. He calls him on the phone one time, and he mentions that Quark owes him a lot of money. That's right. Um... When they get to the Defiant, uh, O'Brien's finishing up some repairs, and he gets the real hard cold shoulder by Riker, and leaves quickly so as not to make the big shot commander more upset. Uh, So now Riker and Kira are all alone on Defiant for some reason. There's no one else there. That's because it's such a pain in the ass to log in. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Kira is a love-struck dope and unlocks all the controls, and Riker stuns her and beams some weird dudes onto the bridge. Then he fakes a scary accident on Defiant, so DS9 will release the docking clamps, and boom, he's gone. Straight stole the fucker. Yeah. Uh, Riker tells his helm's person to set a course for the Badlands, and pulls off his sideburns to reveal he was our less bearded boy Thelonious, not, not <laughs> William Thelonious, all along. Odo and Sisko are next seen briefing Dukat. I love how you insist on not calling him Tom. Why did you do that? We weren't supposed to call him that. His name's Thelonious. They said it already. Can't just change it when you want to make a second one. Um, Odo and Sisko are next seen briefing Dukat on this situation because, whoops, Thelonious Riker is a Maki. Also, by the way, they must have called Gul Dukat and said, you gotta see this. Oh, yeah, they said it. We got it's some... off screen, yeah. but they made Dukat come to the station for this briefing. It's true, he has no idea why he's there. Why did he agree to come? He just loves the, to hang out? He loves the his old pa- gang? His pal Cisco called, man. It's, he's gotta go hang. It's kind of baffling that he just showed up, because he is uh, absolutely floored when he finds out this dude's a Maki. Yep. Uh, Dukat thinks about doing a spit take, and then I guess we're off to do the wounded part two. Yep. He agrees to go with Cisco to try and stop Riker and uh, prevent an all-out war. They have a whole conversation about... They really take you down the path about what all this will mean when this dude takes the Defiant and starts blowing up Cardis. Oh, they do. The Cardassians will send a fleet into the demilitarized zone. Which then the Federation, Federation will So it is war we're talking about. Then sooner. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Exactly. Riker also got the note about the wounded part two, and he, de- he immediately starts blasting Cardassian ships and outposts and shit. Um, Dukat and Sisko show up on, I'm calling it C-Prime. It's easier to type. Yep. Uh, and they hang out with an Obsidian Order agent. And Cisco reveals that the Defiant has a cloaking device, and everyone in the room, again, thinks about, but doesn't do a spit take. The agent yep. reveals she already knew that, but Ducat is pretty grumpy about just finding out about it. Um, 
Cisco also reveals the anti-proton beam strategy the Dominion used to find Defiant a while back. Um, Riker attacks, uh, uses a decoy, and catches the Cardis with their pants down, uh, despite Cisco's quick warnings, and he destroys, uh, what, some kind of dumb old station? Little outpost? Oh, yeah, Outpost 47, we're told. He's about to launch another attack, but Kira did a sabotage, uh, wounding herself in the process and messing up the cloak and the warp drive. Right? Isn't that right? Um, yeah, it messes up the warp drive and that leaks particles through the cloak. Riker and Kira get into it, and uh, old T-Bird says he's doing this because Starfleet won't lift a finger to stop the Cardassians in the TMZ. In the, in the TMZ. <laughs> Let's just call yep. it that. Let's keep that. Uh, meanwhile, Dukat can't call... It's the Kardashians you have to stop in the TMZ. I'm better than that joke. Uh, Dukat can't concentrate because he was supposed to take his kid to the water slides for his birthday. And instead, he's here stopping Federation aggression or whatever. So they have some dad moments. Oh, they don't. It's so sad. Cisco immediately perks up and he wants to have some dad chat with Golducott. But he's and too just shits all over it. <laughs> oh, no, it won't be good. He won't forget. He's going to hate me forever. He he already hates me. He told me yesterday. And he's going to hate you. And it's uh, <laughs> the war is just going to go on and on. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real fucking downer this week. He was so He's going to say shit like... It's not you I hate, Federation. It's <laughs> you know what I became because of you. You know how fucking fat and happy he was when he showed up on DS9 when all those lasers were shooting everywhere? And then he yeah, got, it's the opposite of that. Then he found out that they didn't trust him and he got stuck there too. Did that ruin him in some way that Riker's always ruined? I think so. Because he seemed different this week. Um, let's see. Defiant gets the cloak back up uh, and then heads for some dang old shipyards they're going to blow up. Um... He tells Kira all about his plan to reveal uh, a fleet buildup in the Orias system. Mm-hmm. Kira makes a lot of speeches about what a bad terrorist Riker is, I guess trying to goad him. He just says a lot of stuff like, we'll see, I'm actually a really good terrorist. Cisco tells... I think she's, I think she's trying to plant the seed in his mind that he is a Federation officer and he's going to have to behave like one eventually. Yeah, he may have been stuck on that planet where he made all those uh, <clears throat> phaser etchings. God, he did make phaser etching That he cannot sell on Etsy to save his fucking life. Um, this is the difference between Riker and Jordy. Jordy immediately finds ore and turns it into metal <laughs> and makes spikes and climbs out. The yes. best Riker could do is get a thinner and thinner phaser beam to carve something. Carve he some... couldn't have made something else, another tool. Make those waterfalls look real fucking good. That's what I have this do. tool, that's it. Um... <clears throat> Cisco tells Ducat everything is pointing toward Riker attacking the Orias system, and then the Obsidian Order agent goes, Aw, dang. <laughs> she refuses to allow Ducat to send a ship there and implies that system's actually very well defended for secret project reasons. Yeah. Um, uh, but it can't possibly be because the Obsidian Order's not allowed to have any ships. Yes, this is all... All of this is to tell you there is something going on on Cardassia between the Obsidian Order and the Central Command. Yeah, because it's the wounded too. It turns out that the intelligence is sort of right, and mm -hmm. the Cardassians are up to some shit. But even Dukat doesn't know about this shit. Um, Riker's being chased by a ton of warships to the Orias system, and when he gets there, a bunch more cruisers pop out under control of the Obsidian Order. He refuses to give in, no matter the odds, and Kira wonders aloud if it's because the mission's not that important to Riker. Maybe he's after something else. Mm-hmm. Ducat and Cisco argue about how best to end this thing. Ducat wants to know what's in the Orias system and will settle for the Defiant sensors logs. 
Cisco wants his ship back and wants to put the Maquis on trial of the Federation. They compromise on all that as long as Riker goes to the Cardis for f- trial and... I think he wants mega execution, is what he initially proposes. Something about smashing him between two big logs, I think. <laughs> Something like that. But... He basically says, hey, did you see Return of the Jedi? <laughs> we we have that on Cardassia. <laughs> Something we anyway, use. it's going to be a lot like those Ewok traps. We use it every couple of years where we really want a big fucking audience. Uh, but Cisco says, no, nah, it's got to be life in prison. So... They make their offer to Riker, who accepts it so he can heroically sacrifice himself and save the Maquis crew. The Defiant is saved by Dukat's ships, uh, but the Order has already revealed that it has some faster, better ships under its command. Some Keldon-class cruisers. Some good ones. I mean, they're just Galar-class with, like, a backpack, basically. That backpack is fucking sick, though, dude. It's a a transport. It's like when the, uh, before World War II, when the Japanese put pagoda masts on all of their... (laughs) Ships. That's right. The taller, the better. Yeah. Uh, Riker asks Kira to make sure his people get a fair trial, though they are all guilty as sin. Uh, and then he plants one on Kira for cool guy reasons and beams over to the Cardi ship. And that is the end of the episode. Oh, don't forget Kira promises to spring him from Cardassian jail. Well, that's what her favorite thing to do is. She's often often in Cardi space freeing people. Just uh, just ask people about Lee Nollis. We did it once. Ah, good old Lee Nollis. I wish he'd stuck around. I loved him because he did not want to be there. I liked Lee Nollis. <laughs> All right. Hey, what was this one? As- uh, aside from the wounded part two, what was it? You can't vacation in someone else's freedom fight. That's true. Kira accuses Tom uh, Thelonious, sorry, of being out to make a name for himself, having no stakes in the fight. He doesn't have a good answer for her. No, he just says, we'll see. He says it every time. Yeah. In the end, she convinces him to be a Starfleet officer one last time, etc., etc. My problem is history suggests this take is wrong. Yeah, we used to do it all the time. It used to be like um, a Westerner's favorite thing to do. And, I mean, even in this country, we remember the names of several people who came over to fight in the Revolutionary War, Those basically like, as, a, as adventurers. Like uh, the Marquis de Lafayette and maybe a guy named Kosciuszko and others? Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you met Kosciuszko. Yeah, I did. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, he came over. Okay. He built some built some crazy forts. Oh, yeah. okay. Maybe I was thinking of Casimir Pulaski. No, he's different. He's different yeah. type. He's plant type. Uh, it's also not particularly a Star trek take, so I only gave it four points. Wow, I agreed again. It is four points. Um, for me, though, it was some will do anything to get out from under another's shadow. I think Thelonious is... So sick of Riker having his good, good life. Uh, that he straight betrays the Federation, steals a warship, and kills hell the Cardassians, and then sacrifices himself for his crew and spends presumably the rest of his life in a Cardi labor camp. I know Riker's you know, pretty popular, but, like, it's, I don't know, it's more like an observation of human nature than anything I can adopt for my own life. That's true. Um, it's got to be tough to be... Riker 2 from Too Many Rikers. Because, really, Will Riker hasn't done that much. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of the thing. Everyone uh, talks about young Riker as this ambitious officer who was going to be an admiral by the time he was 19 or whatever he said. But he keeps keeps turning down commands, etc., etc. He's gotten all soft. Uh, He just has sort of become Picard's man at this point. Yeah, he makes it clear to everyone he's never leaving. He only wants to stay on Enterprise forever. But 
he's got to be extremely famous within the Federation, right? Because of Wolf 359? Yeah, he saved Earth. That's uh, right. it's Kirk level. That puts you up there with him. He saved Earth and then also didn't somehow parlay it into a career move. So it probably makes people think he's a good guy. That's true. He's like, like Cincinnati. They probably don't ask. Like, they probably don't ask. But wait, after losing what was <clears throat> most of the fleet at the time, shouldn't shouldn't he have just taken command of a ship? Like, Someone tells him. Surely we must need experienced captains at this point. Is it? I, it might be Picard. I don't know. Somebody tells him right after that. Maybe in the last scene of that episode that he'll have his pick. Yeah, I think Shelby does. Maybe at the end Shelby, of that, yeah. And then he says, oh, everyone's so concerned about what my next, I'm going to stay here or whatever. Yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah, but like, uh, I bet I bet to the, the people in the Federation, it looks like, ah, oh, see, he's a good guy. He didn't even try to make anything out of that. But really, it's like, we know that he has been broken since the middle of season one. That's right. Yeah, it turns out Enterprise, well, a great place to hang out, was not cool for his career or his ambition. Uh, or anybody's really. Yeah. Data didn't get promoted once in the seven years he was there. I mean, Jordy made the biggest leap. Jordy did well. But that was almost instant. I mean, that was by season two or whatever. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, uh, Worf. Uh, no, nah, I guess Worf only did okay. He did all right. You know, he got a cool senior staff job, but. That's it didn't bad. seem to really convince him that Starfleet was going to be his permanent home, though. No. But anyway, what's the advice here? Be better than real Riker and then you won't have to worry about it? I don't know. Yeah, it's tricky. So it was a four for me. Ben, uh, his uh, terrorists don't get to be heroes. Uh, he he accepts Thelonious's motivations here. Thank you for changing that. I read it and I was angry. Um, uh, just backstory for anyone who's not up on it. They've, There's an episode that we'll do later called Too Many Rikers. They very clearly where, have introduced him as William Thelonious Riker. And then in yes. the Too Many Rikers episode where a transporter accident <laughs> made a second Riker, he's like, I'm just going to go by my middle name instead. It turns out that the T is Thomas. Thomas. And it's like, wait a minute. We know his name is Thelonious. You already told us. You can't just ignore it. And also Thelonious made sense. Like, we've met his weird dad. You know that guy was into jazz. <laughs> that's right. There's a reason he plays the trombone. <laughs> that's right, exactly. And it's because he hates He's his trying dad. trying to get his dad's approval yeah. and it just never happened, etc. That's, by the way, that's also why he can't uh, play Nightbird correctly. Because <laughs> of his mean dad? Because his dad cheated every time yeah, he tried to play it? Yeah, exactly. It's just, he's, he always all, was he's got the him. yips, basically, and it's... Every time he started to play Nightbird, he'd get to that part of Nightbird, his dad would come up and sweep the leg. He can't play Nightbird because he doesn't believe he can play Nightbird. That's right. It's uh, it's essentially he got um, he got whiplashed by his dad. You know the movie Whiplash about jazz drumming. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sorry, that was backstory for this episode. Yeah. Um and Ben uh, Ben gives it a seven for execution. By the way, after that five for take. Yeah, it's a Riker joint. He says he wonder he wonders if he's gonna look smarter in comparison to the much less competent DS Nine crew. I mean, he okay. Look, having two Rikers is a real tricky trick. Yes, but he works them. He does work, and stuff that maybe shouldn't work does in this one. Yeah, like Dax fails to suss him out. Yeah, when he looks at her, like, he has literally never seen this person like he's before. Like, he has never seen her before. <laughs> and then, I don't know, whatever weird memorization he did before he got to the station eventually kicks in. And he's like, this fuck gotta be Dax. He had a mnemonic device. He's like, spots, dog, dogs, docs, Dax. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is like his fucking flashcards. And he's like, oh, yeah, I did wonder if the spots went all the way down. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> yeah, and like O'Brien doesn't seem O'Brien just seems upset. He never he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> he says, even try to I have nothing to say to you, O'Brien. <laughs> you know why. And O'Brien just goes and okay. O'Brien's like, oh <laughs> it just walks out. I he's don't like, I actually don't know why, but I better leave. <laughs> uh, we were friends on the other ship. I was like the enlisted guy that you hung out with and played poker with and shit. I was so sassy. I was always with the one liners. Why doesn't he like I took me? a nap that time, remember? Right. We napped together. Yeah, he can't figure it out, but he doesn't say anything to anyone. I'm the guy you go to when you did a murder and you don't want anyone to know. Yeah, don't treat your cleaner bad, dude. I got secrets. I'll fucking let everyone know what happened. He does just leave, and then even when he shows up in ops a minute later, he's not like, I. there's something, something's wrong. Yeah, literally, like, the guy steals the he, Defiant, and O'Brien never goes to Cisco and goes, hey, uh, I knew something was up with that guy. Like, he shows up in, the, like, he just left the Defiant. He knows that, A, there's nobody on board, and yeah. B... Everything's fine. Yep. He shows up in ops in the middle of of uh, Riker calling in and being like, "Just release the docking clamps and I'll get it away." And he not for one second does he go, "Now nah, hang hang on a second. <laughs> Maybe don't do hang that, on though. just a dang second. Maybe he thinks he made lightning come out again, like he did that one time at the replicator. But like this was a more <laughs> important system. Could be. He knows he sometimes makes lightning in those machines. Uh, anyway, Riker does pretty much get away with it. Yeah, he works up good. Um. Anyway, he uh, Ben also liked the interesting split between the military and the Obsidian order um, of course Cardassia, which obviously of course um it's the best thing about deep space nine so far is the central command and the obsidian order anything that has to do with ducat and maybe garrick yeah i love when they represent those two entities um of course no garrick in this one which was too bad but plenty of ducat. no but where would you have put him yeah he just he doesn't know Riker. he just would have given cisco some tips or maybe uh i mean i guess it would have been fun to see uh Thelonious trying to flirt with Garrick. <laughs> like he was going to devour him? Like, listen, I only have one strategy here, and it is seduce. Uh, I actually did Ben one better. I have it as an eight. Um, wow. I think they do a good job of showing us his real goal has little to do with the Maquis, DMZ, Cardassians, or any of that shit. Like, he's looking to end this farce of an existence and go out in a blaze of glory. Being Riker 2 sucks. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy all of the internal Cardassian angst and infighting, and I always enjoy Ducat and Cisco just being dads together. And even though this stunt casting was just to try to bring in TNG viewers, it also gets rid of Riker number two in like a in a kind of Janeway let's set everything right kind of way. Yes. So now we can go on with the correct situation of just enough Rikers. In this universe. <laughs> the correct number of Rikers. Hey, how great would it be? It's been a long time since I watched Deep Space Nine. Hmm. How great would it be if next week there's like a weird scene where Cisco and Ducat are camping and they're like they're trying to make Mikor and Jake hang out, but Mikor's <laughs> eleven and Jake's sixteen and has an adult girlfriend now. Right, yeah. And it's just like it's just not Jake's trying because he's a nice guy and those little shitty little Cardassian doesn't want to be there at all. Ducat thinks it's going to bring them closer together, but it really just brings out all their differences. Ducat's trying to make up for missing this birthday, but he's, he knows it's not working and it's just a whole he's, he's just in a bad mood and Cisco's trying to power through it by being cheerful and right. making, making Creole food. But he's shit. actually just making Ducat look worse as a dad. It's just not working the in any way. The whole thing sucks. Anyway, uh, if that scene shows up next week, I will give it 10 points for, <laughs> for sure. Uh, again, this episode evokes the wounded 
it doesn't evokes not even the right word. It copies it, which is, I think, probably a better episode. And the reason I think so uh, is because we get some good Picard. We get some. And they sing the minstrel boy to the war has gone. We get some uh, O'Brien dealing with uh, war trauma and racism. Yeah. And also maybe the introduction of the Cardassians. The first Cardassians when they got the weird pipes on their heads. <laughs> they were <laughs> including Gal uh, Gal Dukat or Mark Alima. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Theor- we'll get to theory corner. Yeah. So I mean, there's like a lot going on in that one. Um, so I don't know. We'll see what the scores say. But I've always really liked that episode. Um, but this one introduces some Obsidian Order shit that feels like something we'll eventually have to revisit. So all in all, uh, it really could have been a worse episode. It was it was pretty good. Uh, I mean, I'm inclined to agree that this is a pretty good episode. I didn't give it an eight. I only gave it a six. Okay. Um, so I think that the shift of focus from what's happening on the Defiant to Cisco and Ducat for the second half of the episode uh, works well. Yeah. Because it's the Cardassian politics that make this episode interesting. That's right. It is kind of beat for beat the wounded, including stuff like uh, watching some of the battles play out just on a monitor. Yeah, just watching little symbols disappear. Yeah. Right. Um, the, uh, but Thomas Riker and Benjamin Maxwell have Thelonious. Sorry, sorry. Thelonious Riker and Ben Maxwell have very different motivations. Yes. Um, but again, because I think we're more attached to these characters and we like seeing Cisco and Ducat play against each other. And we like seeing the Cardassian central command play against the obsidian order. I do, at least I don't mind that it's the same as the wounded. Yeah, I agree. Usually when there's an episode, that's uh, just another episode. It's so that I can say that they did it better. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, this is one that I, when I saw the thumbnail was Thomas, uh, sorry, Thelonious Riker, I was like, oh, God, no. Oh, God, oh, no. <laughs> I know. I, uh, I didn't and, even remember I, that I liked it. I was like, I was in the same boat. I was like, oh, this is going to be so bad. Uh, that th- They should not have let that character loose in the universe in too many Rikers. And that, what's it really called? Second Chances? Yes. But, but yeah, and now, it's, fun, it's hilarious that they actually initially called it Too Many Rikers because... That's a horrible name for an episode, but it's, <laughs> it's also, not, it's by the way, it's not a Star Trek name. That's a, it's always sunny in Philadelphia name. <laughs> right. But it's also hilarious because Marshawn has always called that episode two Rikers. Yes. So the, they well, found, listen, they it found right to the heart of the thing. They found an even dumber name to call it. Um, no, I, but I did actually, I did enjoy watching it and I, it's not the hack job that I thought it would be. The main reason that it's only a six for me is that I don't, I don't think the Kira Riker yeah, works. That is uh, like they just had to pick someone. Why not pick Dax if they're supposed to be old buddies or whatever? Or maybe that's why he wouldn't be able th- to trick her. Yeah, I think that's why. Also, they don't they don't show enough of the interaction between between Riker and Dax or between Riker and Kira to before he reveals himself to understand why yeah. she still kind of likes him. She's just into him because he's Riker. Like it's the same thing works on her that works on everybody. I guess. I get it. She's an alien, and that's his deal. That's definitely his deal. Also, she's uh, she's kind of strong-willed. You know, he likes that. He's not uh, he's not into Utah, right? Being oh, a slave, yeah. being subservient. God, is that coming up soon? Uh that's got to be this season. Boy, it, it's got to be. Do you think it is? It's got to be. Season I, here's the problem. I never remember the name of that episode. That one is called. Hold is on. it the Vengeance Factor? It's two weeks from now. Yeah, so yeah, it's coming up. 
Okay, so we'll see that one real soon. Anyway, it tells you a lot about what Riker's into. Yep. He says, this famous one where he Riker believes in enthusiastic consent. Let's just say that. Yes, it's the one where he goes, don't do whatever I tell you. Just do what I'm telling you right now, which is not to do whatever I tell you. And then (laughs) still have sex, but you just do it the right way. But I don't want to feel guilty about it. (laughs) That's right. I want to fuck you and not feel guilty. So do whatever it takes to make that happen. I'm not James Kirk. I wouldn't fuck a slave girl that was sent here to fuck me. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, we'll definitely get to that. Um, Yeah, so the, the Riker-Kira stuff, like, she says they just talked, and she's still dating Beryl, I guess. But, like, mm. but so then, like, why isn't she meaner to him Dude. once once he reveals what's going on? Kira, I don't know. Kira doesn't seem like the type maybe who... Like, why isn't that a burned bridge for him as soon as he phasers her? Oh, yeah. Well, that's kind of a rough one. Who knows what she's into? I mean, who the fuck knows? But it's like at the end, she does let him plant one on her. Oh, yeah. And then she says, I'm going to break you out. Why? I, I don't know. break you out of that jail. <laughs> it's uh, unexplained. I. So that's why it's only a six for me. Because yeah, I, I, I think whatever they were trying to set up there didn't work. That's true, actually. That is kind of the weakest part of that episode is that interplay between those two. Yeah. Um, ben is a seven on world building. There's some here, for sure. There definitely is some here. Uh, uh, he says, it must be easy to come by fake orders and uniforms, etc. Um, more evidence of major schisms in Cardi politics with the secret base, unknown military force, the top of council. Yep. The Obsidian Order is not supposed to have ships. So I agree with all of that. Um, I only gave it a six. Right. So, it's a lot of stuff about Cardassia. I'll love it if it pays off for sure. Uh, I've also got uh, Starfleet apparently has not worked out a way to tell transporter twins apart. No, apparently they, although we see lots of weird things happen with the transporters, I guess not enough has happened to make people work on yeah. that. <clears throat> you, uh, it's on. It's on the back burner for somebody. I guess. Yeah, every time this happens, uh, every six weeks when there's a transporter twin, they go, all right, we're going to get to it this time, and then they get sidetracked. Yeah, the anti-proton beam stuff comes back. Um, the Keldon class of ships, I think this is the first time we've seen them. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, someone is watching out for Starfleet officers who have dangerous political opinions. I don't love that. That's why this is a six. It's the same people responsible when Mendon comes on board and they send him for re-education. <laughs> You remember that when was it yes. it's Mendon, right? Mendon comes on yes. board and then the announcement goes, please report to deck whatever for re-education. <laughs> you just go, wait, what? <laughs> Do they mean orientation? That's different. It should have been orientation. <laughs> That's a different word. Uh, so it's that's a six for me for world building, but it's that's world building scores low. It's not easy to score a six. And I think that they did a lot with the like the for 500 years, the Datapa Council, the civilian rulership mm-hmm. of Cardassia, has been uh, uh, in name only, right? Has yes. ruled in name only. The military and the Obsidian Order have been running this dualistic system where they've controlled Cardassia for 500 years. Yeah, where they're giving each other the stink eye just constantly. And they've probably both been breaking the rules all along, but it definitely seems like whatever the Obsidian Order is doing now is big. It's a big breach of the rules yeah we get um <clears throat> we get some ideas from oh what's his name in chains of command uh that things have not been so great in cardassia the last i don't know couple of generations 
Yeah, definitely losing the war with the Federation 20 years ago didn't help. Yeah, and so things, I think, outside pressures are starting to crumble what was a system that worked. Yeah. That's what we seem to be getting. So, it's oh, there's a lot of big stuff about Cardassia in this one. Yep, I was in agreement with you. I had it as a six. Uh, it seemed like in that first, in like the teaser, we heard about the Bizadiums and the Bizalians. <laughs> And then I was mad. Dog, I never write that shit down. Like, here's what I wrote down about the teaser. Curious, crazy, busy, and it starts to get to her. She snaps at Bashir and he orders her off duty. Fucking, I was as mad as Kira when I heard that. I went, okay, seriously, how's anyone supposed to keep this shit straight? Tell me about Bizadium, Bizadium transports, and then the Bizalians are coming in, like, tomorrow? Like, fuck that. They should change names. Um, <clears throat> continuity with too many Rikers, especially in the briefing, which is as much for the audience as Dukat. Yeah, it's in case anybody is watching Deep Space Nine but didn't watch The Next Generation. Yes, the weirdos who their stunt casting was not meant to bring in. Uh, the people who have not seen TNG. Uh, anti I mean, in those days you couldn't binge, so even someone... And they never mention Riker's transporter clone again after too many Rikers. So <laughs> it's entirely possible that someone could have seen 90% of TNG yes. and not know about that plot point at all. Yeah, they didn't. they didn't want to talk about him so very much. Um, the anti-proton beam, uh, continuity with the Defiance Cloak, Gul Torin of the Sixth Order, Cardassian Outpost 61, fake warp signatures as decoys, the shipyard at Omecla 3, Kira does not think that's a good target, that's why it's some kind of decoy. The Obsidian Order controls the entire Orion system for black projects. Uh, the military system with a split central command and obsidian order answering to what I imagined I meant to say civilian to top of council, but I put Sicilian. The Sicilian Listen, to top of council. It kind of works. Has <laughs> worked for five centuries. Uh, the Cardassian cruiser cracks on. Uh, Keldon class, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. Um, Kira and Riker both seem to think it's plausible that he will overwhelm three of those fuckers in front of the Defiant pretty easily. Like... So that they have both sized up the military situation as Cardassia sucks. Well, uh, honestly, that tracks very much with what we saw in the wounded. I ask for the one millionth time. That must have been like the most limited war ever. How did it last 20 years? I think it's good to fight a war against the Federation. Yeah, they don't, they're they not interested in destroying you. No, they are only interested in some small political gains. Uh, I think this episode gives us an even clearer understanding of just how unclear the political military situation is in, in Cardassia. Um, so yeah, a six for me as well. Yeah. <clears throat> it's sort of turning into a case where the threat that Cardassia poses is not a direct threat. It's just as an unstable element in the Alpha Quadrant at a time when it's a little tense. Yeah. So and they end we'll up, see how that carries on. And they have to be next to it because of that dang old wormhole. Right. Yeah. Uh, characterization. What did you think? I had it as a six again. Um, Kira's working too hard. She wasn't meant to write a desk. Um, this episode's fucking raking it in. She's in love with Riker immediately, but pretends she's too involved with Vedic fucking Barile to go for him. Um... She doesn't think Thelonious is a good terrorist. Uh, she never gives in with him, just kind of stays on him the whole time, which is kind of good to see. She's like a, a bulldog in that way. She's just constantly in his ear and sabotaging the ship and shit. Well, once she has blown <laughs> up, I guess actually once she, she probably when she wakes up and realizes he just stunned her. Yeah. She knows she can push buttons. 
Yeah, like, she wasn't vaporized. Her assessment is right that this guy is Starfleet, and he's not... Yeah, Maki have no use for the stun. Like, instead of putting her just in a brig, he takes her to the bridge to keep an oh, eye on he her. he is desperate to convince her. Yes. Of his great mission. And that he is, is a good guy, really. <laughs> which is, again, more evidence that she's right, that it's not about this particular mission for him. Yeah. Right. Uh, Bashir makes people who are mean to him go to Quark's and spend money. Seems like <laughs> Quark might be behind this scheme. What kind of kickback is Bashir getting out of this? Uh, it's a good question. Also, Bashir wasn't, I guess Bashir wasn't around a couple of weeks ago when, or maybe last week, I don't remember, when it uh, was discovered that uh, Kira hates the fucking Hollow Sweets <laughs> and also uh, Quark just tried to... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. To, take advantage of her in a kind of a hollow sweet way because he shows up with Quark with a fucking hollow sweet program. It's okay because neither Quark or Kira remember either. That's good. That's a good, very good point. Um, uh, does Cisco like Riker because he thwarted Picard's evil Borg plans that killed his wife? Because he's instantly into Riker. Boy, this is a good point. Cisco is extremely jovial with Riker. Yeah. Now, is it because they're same age friends? Ooh, could be. In the sense that they're both commanders, uh, they're both commanders. Yeah, he was very, he was very like this with Cal Hudson too. Yeah, but it could well be. I mean, definitely, if Picard is the guy who took his wife from him, Riker is the guy who put a stop to that shit. That's right. So not only did he save the planet, but he and for sure, Cisco doesn't know that actually Data <laughs> yes, just data, figured out it's Data's whole thing, and actually Picard kind of told them how to do the thing. <laughs> yes, but Riker just, Data and Picard Riker was desperate to run into the, board. the problem, and all Riker was going to do was fucking fly the ship into it. Like that <laughs> yeah. was it. No reason to think that would even stop him. Really? No, it's like real life. He was in charge of that mission, so all the log the log entry he made was, "I did it. The yep. Borg have been stopped." Oh, you think you think Riker fucking files log entries? <laughs> We know Picard barely does. He does Do you think it, Riker does it all? Riker does it like Kirk, where he's just on the bridge in front of everybody. <laughs> well, that was true of Minuet. <laughs> I gotta tell everyone does, on the bridge about crushed. He just come right to the bridge to tell all his friends. Guys! That his, I'll never love his again! His has gone. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. I tried so many different variations, I couldn't get her back. I fucked half of them. It wasn't the same. Did you hear Jordy Way in the background? Is he talking about the holodeck? <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, Cisco has keen tactical instincts, and this Cardi lady notices. Where's the hot fanfic for these two? Oh, I'm fucking into can it. We get, can we get some of that? I want to see some of that action. Um, Something about the Cardassian makeup uh, makes women look thick. <laughs> must, must, you know, must be their, you know what I mean? Must be their big necks, would be my guess. That's their big necks, I think, is what it is. <laughs> oh, she's definitely thick. Yeah. Yeah. That's Captain Rachel Garrett of the Enterprise C. Formerly Captain Rachel Garrett. She also has played someone else. Uh, Kurak from that terrible episode where... What, <laughs> we'll get to it. What's her name? Has tennis elbow. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, Cisco is, I think, just against the death penalty. Not sure why uh, he'd like try to ask on behalf of Riker. Except that they're same age friends. Like, I can't figure it, out why. Because it honestly there. does solve a problem for Starfleet if the Cardassians execute Riker. It solves a problem for the whole universe. Yeah, it kind of does, yeah. huh? Again, in a Janeway fashion. Um, Is there any way you guys could execute the mirror universe also? So that it no longer exists? We Is haven't there been a possibility able... that we don't have to deal with that ever again? We haven't been able to figure that out, but I'm going to have to go back there like nine times. So can you please just take care of it? 
Um, it's going to start to be a once a year thing. So can we? God, it really will. Um, Gossip Dax is here to listen to Kira talk about her great three hour talking date with Riker. This is the full extent to which Dax and Kira are friends, by the way, is talking about men. They have the opposite of a Bechdel relationship. Well, I mean, there was always like, yeah, I'd I'd fuck Morn (laughs) or whatever. But there was also the time uh, right on ops in front of everybody. Dax asked Kira what it's like to kill people. That is true. That one passed. That passed. Yeah, at least Neelix waited till Paris was alone to ask him (laughs) what he what he was in for. That's right. Uh, let's see. O'Brien, I think, still thinks he's an important member of the Enterprise crew and is crushed when Riker eats his lunch on Defiant. He thinks that he was very important. Yeah, I think it's O'Brien's low self-esteem, by the way, that keeps him from going up to the ops and being like, something's wrong. He's not going to tell anyone ever again what happened. We live in a crazy world. I have been duplicated myself. Believe (laughs) me when I say that's not William Riker. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he should say to him at the end, they should have a little scene where they get to have a reunion where it's like, happened to me, you know. It wasn't a transporter <laughs> accident, but I know what you're going through. I was cloned. Just cloned. Yeah. Uh, Ducat for sure thinks they made up a story about too many Rikers. <laughs> yeah, he does not buy it for one second. But he does not want to lose a war to the Federation, so he agrees to stick his big thick neck out and try to hunt the Defiant with Cisco. Yeah, at the end of the day, it doesn't fucking matter to him whether it's Will Riker or nope. some made-up guy. But he for sure does not believe it. And I don't blame him, because it's a dumb story. Yeah. Uh, he also knows they make a great buddy cop duo, so he's he's all for that. Um, missing his son's birthday, he can't take him to Lakarian City again. Again! Uh. He's done this before. Uh, Ducat is hella reasonable in his demands on Cisco. All he wants is Riker and the sensor logs. I would have been like, hey man, you fucked up. It's not my fault. I get the whole crew and I do what I want with them. They're mucky yeah, terrorists. I can see that Ducat maybe knows he can't keep the ship. Yeah, that's fine. Like, Don't keep the ship. But I'd be like, no, these guys are terrorists and I'm taking them. Yeah, maybe he gives them the same deal he gives Riker. They just go to jail. Yeah. I mean, it's not even jail. They're going to be breaking rocks. Yeah, it's for sure. They're going to a labor camp. I don't think they have regular jail. Just the kind where they keep you before your fake trial. They just yank your teeth out and then they... (laughs) They make you naked, too. That is true. (laughs) Thelonious, I'm going to count for characterization here since he's... One, he's Riker. And two, he's shown up in a previous episode, just not in this project. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Thelonious says he's in this fight because people are dying in the DMZ and he's going to do something about it. But, like, nah. He seems to trust Kira because she used to fight the Cardis. Or just because he's into her? And he's, <laughs> des- clear. he's desperate to make her really like him. Uh, he definitely thinks he's pretty damn heroic. He has so many smug smiles in this episode. Oh, yeah. Um... Did Riker use that line with her about fishing because of, you know, Alaska? When he says, you shouldn't go fishing today, you're not going to catch anything. Is that because that of him and his weird dad? Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> Did his dad used to say that to him? <laughs> at least he didn't fucking try to snap off a metaphor about ambojitsu. I just imagine Riker saying to him, you know, mom used to cook for us. And then the dad saying to him, you shouldn't go fishing today. You're not going to catch anything. Yeah, something like that. Uh, anyway, he sacrifices himself for his crew and plants one on Kira and goes off to prison like a future boss. Um, for me, it was a six. I don't disagree with most of that. I did only give it a four. Okay. So, 
why does O'Brien just take that? Does he know what he did? I don't know. Maybe he assumes that it was some kind of great betrayal to leave and go to DS9. I don't know. Maybe. I always assumed they gave him the boot, but I don't know. Maybe. What if... And this doesn't make sense, but like... <clears throat> what if O'Brien thinks that Riker had a thing for Keiko? Oh. <laughs> well... You think Riker never made it down to the Arboretum? I was going to say, I mean, I, I guess I'd believe it. She, but she's okay. not alien enough. She's not, but she's mean. She does seem like she doesn't really like anyone. Yeah. I think it might be the it might actress. be a challenge for him. Uh, I thought good work between Cisco and Ducat for the most part. I didn't quite buy sad about his son's birthday, Ducat. He just seemed more grumpy than... Like, it seemed like he was saying that, but it wasn't true. Like something else has got him down. <laughs> like he was using it somehow as oh. as some kind of political capital against Cisco. Because he's a dad. God, Ducat I, is always thinking. Yeah. Uh, t- uh, Thelonious Riker Thank feels you. like a man who wants to do something big. And is afraid to really investigate his own motivations. And I think that tracks with what we saw in Too Many Rikers. Yes, I think that's true. Like... He he's going to have to do he can't believe what Riker has done with the six years that he didn't get. And he's going to do something with his time. He knows it. Yeah, he ain't just going to cruise around on the Gandhi forever. Right. Uh, But again, I don't I don't know how I feel about Kira in this one. Why did she kiss him goodbye at the end? That's the big weakness that and I I don't understand O'Brien. O'Brien and Kira are what bring this down to a four for me. Okay. Uh, I don't know Did we say Ben gave it a 7 in World Building Which we said he gave it a 5 in Characterization Yeah O'Brien and Riker have beef He didn't didn't understand O'Brien and Riker's beef either Yeah Uh, Uh, It's not really clear how well Kira knows Riker Yep that's what we've That's what we've been saying is the problem here Um, But by the end they are kissing familiar yeah, it doesn't take Riker long to get there. No. See that planet where the crystalline entity wipes out a woman who was into it. She was into it, and again, we got no backstory on that one. Just, nope. they've been there for a mission for like, I don't know, six and a half minutes, and they are already a thing. He doesn't have any quick hitters on this one. Uh, I have a couple. Do it. This seems like it would have been a great time for Necheyev to show up, but I guess she just hung Cisco out to dry on this one. Like, you lost the ship, you get to explain it to Ducat. That's right. Not only like, that, this is, if you fail... on the brink of war. If you fail and can't get it back, you're also going to go have to explain it to Fleet Admiral Shanti. Right. We're on the brink of war here now that a Maquis have our most powerful battleship. Yeah. Uh, I'm keeping my hands clean. You deal with the Cardassians. Yeah, it seems like it. She is uh, never around when you need her and always around when you don't. <laughs> Basically. It's kind of in keeping with what we know of her. Yeah, how many times have we asked, hey, where's Nechev? And then she, she just randomly be, shows uh, up. Again, the whole problem with this show, once they discover the wormhole 15 minutes in, is that uh, this is all now way too big for the staff of DS9. Yes. They just don't address it at all. Hey, maybe she's in charge of, like, two sectors, and the other sector is even more popping off. I mean, it's got to be in real shit. Maybe right? she's like, got, like, the Romulan neutral know, zone, too. 
I don't know what's going on on the other side that where she's not bordering with the Cardassians, but it does seem like she is constantly fobbing this Cardassian shit off on other people. Yeah, whether it's Picard, because they because Enterprise spends like two years cruising around out there. How are these other Keldon class ships staying hidden? Like, there's three of them. Oh, now there's five of them. And then at the end, Kira says, "Well, there's five of them there now, but there could be fifty waiting for us." Yeah, they got. Uh, they usually have some crazy sensors. Yeah, usually you'd be able to scan this. Like, they can scan all of those systems and Dukat knows where his eight ships are, right? Yeah. Like, how are they staying hidden? Do they cloak? <laughs> well, I mean... Is that why... Uh, I'm not scrolling up. Is that why Coriolanus is not worried about that cloak? <laughs> yes, you got you got her name exactly correct. She is that it's character. It's something like that. Um, God, I mean, I guess I should say, spoiler alert. There is some stuff going on with the Obsidian Order that may lend some credence to that. Okay. No one is, but no one asks the question. Nope. No, no, no. They're just like, I don't know. Maybe they're using different transponders or something. Like when three of them show up in the the sector, Golducott's like, show up from where? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, no one says like, I guess they turned on their transponders. I don't know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Hard to say. Uh, And shouldn't, shouldn't Coriolanus be more desperate to keep this secret from getting out? I mean, it's not like we've never seen Obsidian Order types pull weapons on their own people, yeah. but she's just like, I'm not saying anything about it, but I'm not going to do anything to try and stop anything from here on out. You'll I'm see my kind ship of, soon. I'm just going to kind of disappear from this episode yeah, once the deception is revealed. Yeah, she's not in the back half. I gave best actor to Cisco. Oh. And worst to the Maquis twins. The two that were not Thelonious? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of them is a reuse of a character from TNG. Yes. K- Kalita, something like that? What the fuck? You're talking about from the uh, the one with Ro? From Preemptive Strike, yeah. 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 An episode that I think I've only seen maybe once. Well, then her name in this one is Burita. No, it's literally <laughs> the same character. They oh, really? Literally made a character payment to somebody for oh, this one. Oh, wow. They never do that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, they must have done it for uh, Thelonious, too. Oh, Thelonious, yeah. Uh, your characterization was very long, so I'm guessing your quick hitters are relatively brief. But let's have them. Nah, never. Um, <laughs> so I guess when you're the doctor, you can just relieve people of duty whenever they're mean to you. Seems like a weakness in the system. Like maybe someone's shouting at you, and maybe they have a good reason, but you just go, "You're irrational. You need to go on shore leave." It's definitely the case that you can threaten to do it if they don't voluntarily take shore leave, right? And, yeah, and they go, and they always point out. Every time. Not even a captain can overturn my orders. I mean, Bashir doesn't run down the checklist we've seen twice so far in TOS. That's true. There is one where they talk about, they have a reasonable conversation about it in that. He just goes... I mean, that one, that one might be captain specific, but... He just goes, you yelled at me and I'm mad about it. Um, he's not mad about it. He's He actually seems happy to relieve her. <laughs> Did just get her out of his fucking hair. Yeah. Uh, the best small touch ever by Terry Farrell. When she looks at Kira and then at Cisco's office and goes, Who's in there? Who's no, yeah. who in there? Who's in there with Benjamin? That speaks to her acting skills that that's the best job she's ever done. But it is good. But I was You're like, not wrong. I was like, hey, that's like how a person would say it. <laughs> she's like, Who's in there? And then Kira goes, Kira. Huh? And she goes, In there with Benjamin. Who's in there? Again, because Nana Visitor is actually an actor, 
she's doing a pretty good job of appearing distracted by what's happening in the office. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Dax plays up to it in that one. Uh, when Riker initially steals the Defiant, Cisco gives a look that I think says, is Picard fucking with me? <laughs> Did he send Riker to steal my ship and make me look bad? I love this idea because we only see the two of them interact in Emissary. Yeah. <laughs> and never again, but I love the idea that He's just Cisco is fucking looking over his shoulder for Picard to jump out of every shadow. He was very rude Probably to him. Probably still half-borged. He was very rude to him in that episode. He should expect some kind of reprise. But it's like, he... He looks at the view screen like he's like, this fucking guy. Not like something weird is up. Um, I just fucking got that ship. God damn it. <laughs> fucking Picard's going to make me I want to be back on the shit. fucking Yang Kin again. <laughs> That's right. Uh, a lot of that good uh, out of breath acting from Avery Brooks in this episode. So I guess I agreed with you that he was the uh, the best actor. Yeah. He always acts like this, where he's having trouble catching his breath. Yeah, he's like a grown-up version of the kid from Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I recognize this Cardi lady's voice right away, so that's why I knew she was Kurek and uh, Rachel Garrett. Um, she has good presence. She's not just thick. That's that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> good. That would be shallow. Why doesn't Thelonious correct Kira when she keeps calling him a terrorist? I don't think terror is his goal, and although no. political... No, well, he's not... A, he's, uh, she's right that he's not acting like terror is any part of his goal. Yeah, and although political change may be, he's strategically attacking military targets with a warship, and I would argue he's not particularly close to actually being a terrorist. But nope. he's just like, nah, I'm good at terror, what do you know about it? Again, it's more evidence that he doesn't know what his motivations are. Yeah. Uh, imagine how embarrassing this will all be for Will Riker. He hasn't had a haven where he has to sit down and think about things. <laughs> where somebody big dogs him and yeah, <laughs> tells him that uh, he hopes he makes it real big and becomes a captain or whatever. Who cares? Yep. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, uh, again, Will Riker is going to be pretty embarrassed by all this. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. That's not good. Will Riker... At the prospect of a clone out there running around with his DNA, did two murders. <laughs> That's true, he did. Iced some people. When, when he finds out that this guy did a Maquis. Yeah. And definitely killed all those people on oh, Outpost 47. Dude, he killed a ton of people. Yeah. It seems like he just disabled that one Keldon-class ship, but surely some people died. He shot a lot of fucking phasers at it. Something happened. Yeah. You know those panels explode like crazy? Probably even worse on a Cardi ship. Yeah, yeah. Definitely bad day to be Will Riker. I presume that probably O'Brien has already sent him some messages. <laughs> oh, you are not going to believe this. whole thing was this. going on. <laughs> and the reason I knew it wasn't you is because I know you and me are cool. Uh, having said that, Riker's about to have an even worse day because this takes place immediately before Generation. <laughs> yes, before Enterprise. Uh, before he guides Enterprise straight to the ground. Literally, this is the last episode that airs before Generations, so he's, he's he a is week about away to from crash the whole fucking ship. Flying the ship into the jungle. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to be great. Hey, do you suppose there's, and we'll talk about it again in many years, do you suppose there's a deleted scene in Too Many Rikers where he points a phaser at Riker's back, at Riker 2? <laughs> thinks about it. And Troy stays his hand or something. 
Because uh, probably Troy just rounds the corner and he's like, <laughs> then polishes the phaser like he was just not doing anything. Because as you point out, he's not clone friendly. No. Um, no offense, but life in a Cardi labor camp sounds really shitty and I'd rather die in space. Oh, you'd think just fight it out in space? Yeah. yeah. I'd rather die in space than go to a Cardi labor camp, I think. <clears throat> yeah, probably. I mean, Kira promised she'd spring him. That's true. She'd probably keep that promise. <laughs> That's like, true. Yeah, after that, maybe. Because she's good at that. Uh, yeah, that's all I had on quick ones. <clears throat> Whew. Yeah. That's only two of them. <laughs> that's what I was worried about coming in. <laughs> I got a all lot right. of notes on TNG later, too. All right. Well, let's fucking get at it. Um, third place last week was TOS. Oof. This week we watched Bread and Circuses. Ba, 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 ba. Enterprise has discovered the remains of the survey ship SS Beagle. A merchant ship captained by a guy Kirk Sorta knew named Merrick. <laughs> he knows everyone in space. Uh, there are no signs of bodies, though, so they hope that the crew might still be found alive, and they trace the debris back to a nearby planet, which is uh, so identical to Earth that they never stop talking about it. <laughs> that dog's talking about it. <laughs> There's an angry dog out there, huh? Um... Yeah, but it's a pre-warp civilization. In fact, it's the 20th century. In fact, it's the 1960s. <laughs> they watch a TV broadcast of a news report of some dissidents being rounded up. So it's one of these dystopian kind of 1960s. Yes. it's. And they watch the results of a straight-up gladiatorial match on TV. Yes. One of the gladiators that is killed in the match was the flight officer of the Beagle. So they know that the crew at least was there, and they uh, they beam on down. Kirk and Spock and McCoy. The standard, uh, the standard no deaths party. Yeah, Kirk confirms that the Prime Directive is in effect. Uh, you know, no phasers. Don't talk about outer space. Right. And they head towards town, but they're captured immediately by a group of slaves, like like Spartacus style slaves. Yeah, whoever's Oof. idea it was to beam down to that location fucked it up. Uh, well, Kirk must have said, on this identical Earth, is there a Vasquez Rocks we can beam down to? Because <laughs> that place doesn't all? get any love, and I want to make sure that that gets some I sweet wanna... camera work. I just want to be somewhere that I'm familiar with if we're going to beam down. Because <laughs> they walk um, for 40 seconds. <laughs> they, they're captured immediately. Yeah. This group of slaves, for some reason, speak English. Mm. Actual English, mm -hmm. not... Oh, on this planet, everyone speaks English? No, Spock confirms they're speaking English. Mm -hmm. How he knows, I don't know. They're taken to the slave leader, Septimus, and Septimus asks if they're children of the sun. Yes. Uh, Kirk uses his communicator, talks to Scotty, pretends he's talking to a ship offshore, demonstrates that they're not Romans. Right. So they get taken in. Anyway, it turns out that on this world... Rome never fell. Yep. But otherwise, development continued more or less apace. What a pointless and impossible thought, <laughs> like thought game this is. Correct. It's just okay. It, that's exactly what it is. A pointless and impossible thought game. <coughs> uh, Septimus used to be a senator, but when he started worshiping the sun, he was reduced to a slave. Hmm. And now he leads this rebellion, I guess. 
So they uh, uh, they Zoroastrian, right? Something like uh, that. Well, something like that. Okay. Uh, I mean, at this point, McCoy says Rome had no sun worshippers. That's not true. But don't worry about that. <laughs> Let's just let that assertion stand. It's the important. writer didn't know. How was the writer supposed to know? It's also, by the way, super important that they're speaking English. Um, Kirk asks about Captain Merrick, his old academy buddy. And uh, as usual, the mood gets a lot worse because it turns out that Merrickus is now the first citizen and Lord of the games. Yeah. And an enemy of, uh, of the brothers of the sun or whatever. Uh, the guy who captured them is called Flavius. He agrees to take them to Merrickus and, uh, they go to that one park, the Alice in Wonderland park. Mm Mm-hmm. And while they're waiting for it to get dark so they can sneak into the city, a whole bunch of cops show up. Yeah. Roman cops. Roman cops, which you know because they're like motorcycle cops if they had like Nazi-designed jackets and weird helmets with eagles on them. <laughs> this is how you identify the Romans. Yes. Um, so they, they capture them. They're super excited uh, to get... Flavius, because it turns out he was the most successful gladiator in the province. Oh, before he um, again started worshiping the sun. So they uh, they get taken into the police. Uh, Flavius says he won't fight anymore. Whatever. Kirk asks to see Maricus, and uh, Flavius explains the history of slavery on this world, how basically the slaves just got better, more and more rights and they just never revolted. Okay. Slavery got turned into an institution. Okay. Uh, they haul him off to go fight in the arena. And, uh, one of several botched escapes happens where Kirk and crew fight off their immediate guards, but then there's just more police there. And here's Maricus. Uh, Every episode has nine escapes. There's a lot of escapes in this one. Mm. Maricus uh, is near a dude named uh, Claudius Marcus. He's proconsul here. And he knows who they are. Yes. Like, Maricus knows about space and shit. Uh, sorry, Claudius knows about space and shit. Uh, and Merrick doesn't give, like, a strong explanation for why he started cooperating with this guy. But he claims that those of his men who could adapt to this world are still alive and those that didn't get ended up getting sent to the arena. Whatever. Yeah. He's one of many, Cla- he's one of Kirk's many uh, space friends who turns out to be just immediately a bad guy when when put in a bad situation. Well, there's a there's a there's more to it with this guy. This is a guy who uh, Kirk knows because he was at the academy, but he washed out in his fifth year. Yes. He just didn't have what it takes. He just wasn't starship material. Mm-hmm. So that's the distinction here. Yeah, I guess. he joined the merchant services or whatever. Right. Um, Claudius tries to talk Kirk into ordering his men down too. sort of threatens them into doing it because he doesn't want them to reveal this planet's existence for some reason, mm-hmm. as if no one else will ever come looking. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yep. Um, he... Threatens to kill Spock and McCoy if he doesn't. He sort of forces Kirk at gunpoint to get on the horn with Scotty. But Kirk tells him, no, everything's fine here. Condition green. And I'll call you back. Which I guess everyone in the room is supposed to believe that Kirk is is calling their bluff. Mm. But it turns out that condition green is actually a code word. Ooh, I love secret tells, codes. That tells Scotty that they're in trouble. Yeah. But also tells him to take no action. I guess the prime directive still counts here. Yeah, it seems like that's part of the code. That, that condition yeah. green is like, shit's bad, but don't do anything. 
uh, Scotty carefully explains it in his log, which suggests that this is a thing that he and Kirk cooked up uh, and not Starfleet procedure. Okay, right? that makes more sense. Uh, they take Kirk to a television studio, which is made up to look like a Roman arena because they're, they televise their fights mm-hmm. and it's the sixties and that's the best they can do. Right. So, uh, McCoy and Spock get brought in. They, they're armed and they're going to fight, uh, two professional gladiators. One is Achilles and one is our old boy Flavius. Yep. Spock wins. His, I'm going to skip like 10 minutes here. Spock Please wins do. his fight. Please do. Yes. And McCoy loses, but Spock intervenes and knocks Flavius out with a nerve pinch, mm. uh, which is a foul. I don't anyway, know why. they get taken back to their cell. Why is it a foul in a fight to the death to give someone a neck pinch? They never no, seen that I neck mean, pinch before. No, I mean, it's because he's not supposed to interfere with McCoy's fight, oh, which is okay. wild, because why do they fight them two on two then? Yeah, well, they, you're always going to get a third man in. Right. Yeah. They're lucky uh, Kirk didn't run in with a folding chair. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> My God! That's Kirk's uh, the music. Pro, the proconsul at this point has decided that uh, he he he's not going to get what he wants out of Kirk. He's going to have to have him executed. So because he admires Kirk, because Kirk, unlike Merrick, is a man, <laughs> yep. he sends uh, he sends his slave girl Drusilla there. Yeah. And once Kirk is convinced that this is not some kind of weird trap, which is definitely what he's concerned about at the beginning, yeah. he do, he does fuck her. He though. fucks her right. He fucks her and falls asleep. Yep. So, you know, I mean, he puts all his clothes back on, but still. It was the 60s. He had to put his clothes back on, but he definitely gave it to her. Uh, Spock and McCoy have a not very touching scene about logic and emotion and facing death. Uh, And uh, anyway, then Kirk. uh, When Flavius, uh, sorry, when Claudius comes in and tells Kirk he's going to be executed, he also lets slip that a communicator is missing. He thinks Kirk has gotten Drusilla to bring it to him. But it's Kirk doesn't have it. Yeah. Kirk doesn't know anything about it, and also no one acts like it's important. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> he uh, sends Kirk to the arena to be executed on television, but uh-huh. Flavius charges in, because I guess he was not put back in jail or something. He's <laughs> free to roam now. <laughs> yeah, he's just a guy. And a guard shoots both him and Kirk's would-be executioner. Oh. Uh, at that moment, Scotty, who has been cooking up uh, a demonstration for them of Enterprise's power despite Kirk's order, cuts the power to the studio. Ooh. And in the dark, Kirk escapes with a submachine gun and uh, blasts away at the lock from way too close <laughs> and frees the uh, frees the rest of the away team. But this escape doesn't count either because Ugh. now uh, they're surrounded by police again. Even in this description, I am bothered by how long this episode is. Yeah. They're, they're surrounded by police. Uh, the police are in each other's line of fire, so they're going to advance with swords, etc., etc. <laughs> Uh, Merrick at this point reveals that he has the communicator, so I guess he's had a change of heart. Okay. He tries to call for a beam up, but he gets stabbed in the back. But the communicator lands near the away team anyway, and Scotty does beam them up. Uh, and then, um, you know, Uhura tells them that they've got it all wrong. The sun worshippers are really Christians, and uh, the Romans are unable to ridicule their belief. Mm. And uh, everyone waxes real poetic about watching the spread of Christianity happen all <laughs> over again. The end. Honestly, I went into like a coma during this episode, and her crazy fucking words woke me up. And I watched <laughs> the rest of the scene, and I went, what the fuck is this? It's buck wild. It's not the sun they're talking about. It's the, it's the son, son of, of God. God. 
And I went, wait a minute, what? Are they escaped yet? What happened? Ah, wow. Uh, So, Matt, what's this episode about? There is no punishment for upsetting me, the reviewer of this episode. (laughs) If there were, they'd stop doing this every week. (laughs) The same fucking episode. (laughs) So, your take is, (laughs) despite... Despite the uh, parody of television production in this episode, where the guy is real up, upset about the ratings, there is actually no stakes to making nope. television. Turns out there's not. Because somehow, after they've done 19 of these Parallel Earth episodes in one season, just here in season two, they all got together and agreed... I mean, Miri was in season one. They agreed to have a season three. Like, somehow this made it to a third fucking season. This is why there had to be a letter-writing campaign. These, The producers actually did no better than the fans at this point. I was so mad after I watched this episode. I was just ranting to Marjan about it, and I said, not only did they get a third fucking season after this, but somehow this became a show that got, like, a weird nerd cult underground following, and they made movies and spinoffs, and it's such a terrible program. Yeah, this is an episode of that great, great show. It's just, it's wild. Yeah, it's a one for me. That says it's a take. It's not a no take. The take is there's no punishment for making bad TV. Okay. Uh, I don't have a much better take than that. Let's just say uh, I think that the only take you can possibly get from this episode, because nothing that happens in it matters. Yep. The only thing that matters is their speech at the end. Yeah, just the Christianity is spread again. Ultimately, the the idea of universal brotherhood must prevail. Ugh. And I this is I think this is what we're supposed to get because it seems like they genuinely believe that now that the words out about. The great, great gospel of Jesus, who is the Christ. Yes, yes, yes. There's nothing that can be done to stop it. That's right. The Christ- Christianity is definitely going to take over on this world. Well, if it's a parallel Earth. Wouldn't it be amazing to sit, get to watch it happen all over again? It's just like, if it's a parallel Earth, it's going to take over just like it did on Earth. And then uh, also, in space, it's a universal continent. There's one God, the Christian God, Spock told us. So it's spread yeah. throughout the entire galaxy already. I mean, otherwise, the episode is just some cheap shots about television production. Like, yes, a lot of that. how they the the bad fake backdrop at the arena, the guy piping in yes. the booze and cat calls, turning up the, uh, the little dial. Yeah, the guy dressed as a Roman centurion. I guess he probably is a centurion because this is Rome. Yeah, talking about how if Flavius fucks up their ratings, he'll do a special on him. Yeah, and the guy telling McCoy the whole time how to like, oh, I guess he's a good guy, right? The guy who keeps trying to tell McCoy how to fight better, right? Yeah, so, like, I mean, that's all it can be. Uh, I guess I'd like to believe that not, you know, not the specific gospel of Jesus Christ, but that the idea that all men are brothers is universal. It's kind of Star Trek-y. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I gave it as many as three points, but I admit that I'm being generous. This was a real turd. Yeah, Ben uh, went ahead and gave it a five, though, because he had a different take altogether. Those who prize safety over freedom shall have neither. Uh, Merrick trades his whole crew so he can live uh, and as a result does not have the respect of the proconsul and becomes his lackey Kirk refuses to do the same and therefore is put at risk but with the respect of the proconsul yeah um, I have a problem with that take and it is going to come up in execution for me Okay, 
Ben is a one on execution. <laughs> yes. This is, this is the Nazi one again uh-huh. with the rogue Starfleet officer, standard gladiator stuff. Such a throwaway to make it all tie back to space Christianity. Yeah, that was necessary. That had to be a network note, right? The Neo-Romans don't have any leverage, so it's weird that they're trying to do a power play. Merrick turns good at the end, but it's not clear why. I mean, he made it through watching his whole crew die. <laughs> yeah. Uh... And so here, Ben and I are are pretty much in it. I mean, I gave it as many as two points whoa! for execution. Um, I know two sounds the, really low. I shouldn't have said whoa like that. But <laughs> the Merrick is a mystery in this, and he never it never gets resolved. Yeah. Why did he end up cooperating? It, 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 he shrugs it off with Kirk. Like, I don't think he ever even gives him an, a straight answer. Yeah. As to why he went along with it. And then why... Does he switch allegiance again at the last minute? These are good questions. Is it because he, now that this guy clearly has a boner for Kirk, he realizes that he sucks? Or he has that talk with him about how starship captains are better than regular spaceship captains? (laughs) But, like, it's just so unexplained. And then, of course, it sucks. Like, these guys have to be speaking English in order for the son-son misunderstanding to work. Right. So they have to, legit, Spock has to say they're speaking English, but why would the 20th century Roman Empire that never fell be speaking English? It makes no sense. Yes, I wish they hadn't wrote that. They didn't need to, and then they did. No, they need to, or else you can't do the thing where they think they're sun worshippers. Yeah, I mean, yes, but yes. This is worse than an alternate history book that our dad would read. (laughs) Uh, also, well, like I Kirk said, fucks it's, a, Kirk fucks that slave girl, and that's deplorable. It's not good. I got that in characterization. So it's a two. <laughs> I've got it in characterization, <laughs> yes, too. Yep. Don't worry about it. Um, <clears throat> Here's what I got. We've seen this episode, huh? <laughs> so many times by now. Other than, like, really cementing the need for an aggressively enforced prime directive, this... Whole... They're not even done with it, Matt. I know. I promise you they're going to do the OK Corral. I'm saying other than this whole season just being a reason to cement the need for an aggressively enforced prime directive, this whole season has been a wash. Yeah. It's just nothing. How am I even supposed to award point one for this rehash of a rehashed rehash? Don't worry, though. At least it's a Christian story. So you thought they'd forgotten that part of science fiction, but they didn't. That's right in there at the end. Yeah, for me, it was a zero. Yeah, I, I guess I have this in quick hitters, but I guess it's worth getting into at this point. I knew that this was the Christian episode. <laughs> it's not the only one, but yes, this one is ends. But so heavy. I was paying attention at the end. When you listen to it, what Kirk says is they had a Caesar and a Christ too. Yeah. But what that actually suggests is that what Star Trek is saying here, and I'm sure they had to be so careful with this, mm. is that Christianity is ultimately some kind of cultural force towards equality. Ah. And not they're not saying a Book of Mormon style, oh, actually, later Christ showed up here. Right. Oh, yes. Because he does say they had a Caesar and a Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it does seem like they're trying to couch it as cultural forces and not, as Spock says in the fucking the literal episode, universal constant, yes. We make do with just the one yes. god. Christian god. Yes, of course, that one. So I think they probably could, had to be careful about what they did here. Yeah. 
And it does obviously still venerate Christianity and pretend that it's been a universal force for good in history. Yep. Uh, and how great it is that it's about to happen to this planet. But like, I think saying that they had a Caesar and a Christ is better than saying they had, they had Caesar and that one Christ ours. And also Christ, (laughs) the son of the one God, Yes, the one son of the one God, Jesus, who is Christ. (laughs) Right. Showed up here also. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, I'm willing to go as high as a one on this just for them, just for the point of, boy, this Prime Directive is real and we need to do it. <laughs> because, but you gave it a zero. Because do you ev- want to walk it back to a Because one? every time that one of these fuckers goes down to one of these planets, somebody Kirk knows from space, yep. goes down here and does a real fucking job. Every time Kirk runs into one of his old high school buddies, yeah. turns, <laughs> they fucking take over the planet. Yeah, it turns out they have either taken over the planet or they have somehow been turned into the uh, some kind of weird lackey on the planet. It, well, you know like, what? It's actually usually the second thing, right? Because even when they had, uh, and I'm going to say John Glenn because I don't remember his <laughs> actual John name. Glenn, his portrait was up for a while. <laughs> even when John Glenn was the head of Nazi planet. He was, all dr- he he was, was drugged, drugged out. up yeah. and it was his it was his buddy who was running the scene. So that's why every time they talk about it they are more clear and specific about the prime directive. Every episode well, they have to go one, all right. Super clear. Let's be just like fucking no super clear. No identification of self or mission. Yes. Uh, well, I actually think Ben wrote it down. No identification. Uh, well, where did he write it? Uh, I might no, no to. references to space and advanced civilizations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. No. They they say it's speci- they say very explicitly in this one what the prime directive entails. That's the only thread I've been able to see through this season is that every time they talk about it, it is more urgent and more specific. Like they like every time this happens, they get another note from Starfleet saying, "Okay, we've updated the prime directive again, and we really mean it this time." Yeah, how do you feel about the fact that we're watching this in the wrong order and that it actually aired? This was the first of these when they aired. Oh, really? Or it was the first of these produced, one or the other. Like, this was supposed to come before all the others. So when they talk about Hodgkin's Law of Parallel Planetary Development then in this it makes one sense and later. identify the Prime Directive, it actually makes the dumb gangster one seem... Well, not better, but... No, but more sensible. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, okay, well, I'm walking it back then. still a zero. Okay. I'm walking back my walk back because then it's because it's not getting more and more. It should was not intended to get more and more specific. Yes, that's the only thing. This I could was get. intended to to be sort of the kickoff to these dumb episodes. Yeah, yeah, it's just really disappointing. Um, <sighs> world building, I guess. Um, yeah, Ben's a two on world building. Yeah, I think just for the prime directive and that the Enterprise can knock out electrical power on a planet. Um, oh, and meteors are a problem to starships, because that is what happened to the Beagle. Certainly to whatever the Beagle is. Right. Uh, it's a small... Probably looked a lot like the Botany Bay, just based on every other time we saw a starship or a spaceship that wasn't a starship in TOS. I don't know why I said whatever it is. I happen to know it's a small Class 4 Star Drive vessel crew of 47. That is correct. Um, star System 892, Planet 4. That's a weird way to... I've never seen them uh, catalog them that way. Um, Kirk's buddy was dropped from the Academy in his fifth year. Yeah, how long is the Academy? Or maybe just... And then Kirk was an instructor there, and he's only in his 30s. (laughs) Right. And went into the Merchant Service. Um, Yep. Yet another alternate Earth. They even speak English. Hodgkin's Law. The Roman Empire never fell, I guess. More details on the Prime Directive, and everybody got to say some of it. That is true. Um, 37 million dead in World War III. Yep. 
it's hard to believe those numbers because Spock is real wrong about how many people died in World War One and World War Two. By the way, again, how's a writer supposed to know? You got to like look in a book. They ain't gonna do that. Yeah, you had to go to a library nah. in these days to look that shit up. That's like how those, he's the... he's he's way he's off on World War One <laughs> and way off on World War Two. It's like how the writers of uh, fucking Twilight Zone. Well, what are we gonna do? Go to a library and read about space? I don't care. <laughs> it was thousands of miles. We away. went hundreds of miles into space and found an alien civilization. <laughs> um condition green that's again s- secret special code for in trouble but take no action um look honestly there might have been more i really found it very hard to pay attention once i was pissed off enough um world building for me was actually the standard three but oh uh well okay you and i disagree here because i hate oh okay. hodgkin's law of parallel oh well, yes development I, have we been taking off points for it each time <laughs> uh, probably <laughs> I was only able to give it one point. Okay, well, that's fair. I, by the way, I had every single thing you had in yours, plus it's not possible to ridicule Christianity. <laughs> it's true, it is a Just fact. Just can't be done. Just can't be done. It's a fact of the universe. Oh, God. Okay. I gave it I gave it one point, and You're it's not, not. It's not worth rehashing. Uh, did, we, already, we did Ben already. Yeah. What about characterization? How did that go? Uh, Ben's a three. Um, more devil. It's all about Spock. He just loves Spock. Yeah. Yes. Again, Spock looks like the devil in the sixties. Uh, three. I cannot in good. I give it a three. I can't in good conscience award any points for Kirk here. Yeah, it's tough, huh? Um, don't fuck a slave who's sent there to fuck you. Everybody. Hey, everybody. That's not consent. Yeah, Riker knows. Hey, guys. Yeah, exactly. Be a Riker, don't be a Kirk. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about this. Just manipulate her into the, the sex. Bang all the alien ladies you want out there, even if they ha- only have female feelings illegally or whatever. <laughs> That's right. Don't. If someone sends a slave girl to you, don't fuck her. Yeah. That's, uh. It ain't like that. Yeah. Spock and McCoy are way too bickery for this point in their relationship, too. They get real nasty with each other. Yeah, it's not good-hearted in this one, and we've already crossed some of these lines with them. Like, it's like with uh, you can't do this with Quark and Odo anymore. Yep, it doesn't work because we already you've already yeah. revealed that they're they no longer selling anything. It's done. Yeah, we've already had uh, Spock and McCoy moments where you either you can't walk back to this level of angry at each other. Right. Uh, the only reason it got three points for me is because we're back to smart rules bending Scotty. Yeah. He's competent when he's in charge. So not a big scorer for me. We had almost the exact same notes. The only reason I had this as high as a four, which is what I gave it, is because of professional Scotty. Yep. And it's I, nice to see him again because mostly he's been just piping up dumb shit for the last few episodes. I asked if maybe he hit his head again, rookie of the year style. <laughs> Probably what happened. <laughs> Because that one time he got his head, got his bell rung, he became a crazy idiot for a long time. Well, it had to be in an accident caused by that same woman. <laughs> else it wouldn't have undone the damage. That's right. Like, does that it, mean it's got to be Gilligan's Island rules? Does that mean he's okay with women again too? Oh yeah. Okay. Don't worry, he's not going to kill any more women. All right. Uh, yeah, Kirk is almost as good at fooling primitives as he is robots. Uh, and I wrote that in that first scene where he convinces them he's from an offshore vessel or whatever. Yep. Um, he for sure nailed that slave lady, though, which is problematic. Uh, McCoy knows about smog. 
and he'd really love to take over a primitive planet and pretend to be a divine entity. Yeah, he genuinely wants to. He yells some racist stuff at Spock. Spock knows all about TV. Yes. He doesn't like it when McCoy says the word logic, though. No. He filthies it when he says it. Uh, I had it as a four, but actually it's a three. It is a three. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Is that a drumhead reference? That's a drumhead reference. <laughs> okay. Did you, did you say he dirties it or filthies it? I don't even remember. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Thankfully, My daddy was a to, good man. Thankfully, we will get to watch the drumhead. <laughs> That's still to come. <laughs> On the advice of counsel. I, it doesn't matter. Not to... In that the answer may, uh, may serve, to, serve incriminate to incriminate me. me. Thanks, thanks, uh, space lawyer Riker. Yep. <sighs> Quick hitters, let's have them. Hmm. Oh, cool slaves! Uh, the barbarian William B. Harrison. Yep. Uh, Kirk tells us what's up almost immediately. It's 20th century Rome. Oh, okay. Uh, yep. Expectations set to trash. I got it. Um, there's California again. Stop taking notes. Cause, <laughs> cause why? Cause why bother? <laughs> I know that that last note happens very early in the episode, but like, what, what am I supposed to do? I understand that instinct. <laughs> I definitely checked out early on, on one or two this week. Yeah. What about you? Um, okay. So this guy washed out of the Academy, but Kirk doesn't seem to think there's anything wrong with him. Yeah. Right, it's almost like that's fine. It's Maybe that just happens. Not, not everyone has what it takes, but it turns out like everyone else, he's taken up a position of power on this planet. <laughs> yes, I don't understand why Merrick went along with all this. Uh, is his statement in the arena that he thought he'd feel it less watching Spock and McCoy fight supposed to be taken at face value? Yeah, really. Is that why he steals a communicator again? He's already seen his own. Maybe he hated his crew. Yeah, but it's like. They weren't cool Starfleet officers. They were merchant men. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, can he, is it that he can only stand up when there's someone to see him be strong? Ooh, maybe. Is it about the Academy? Again, it's unexplored. Yeah. As soon as Claudius shows up, we spend so much more time with him than with Merrick. That's true. Uh... Yeah, I already said the thing about uh, Christ. If captains <laughs> in the merchant service aren't strong enough to uphold the prime directive, and we shouldn't expect it of them, like if you believe Kirk and Merrick, hmm. then they shouldn't be sending out survey vessels. Yeah, I thought he was working for a merchant ship. Why is he doing surveys? Yeah. What's happening? The SS Beagle apparently was contracted by the Federation, or who knows, right? I guess that's a service to they provide. To do surveys, yeah. I gave best actor in this one to Centurion Tough Guy. Okay. I, I, he reminded me of my grandfather, and I kind of liked it. <laughs> it's good. And uh, worst actor to a uh, poor woman who played Drusilla. God, she. I don't. I don't know what they hired her for, but I don't think it was acting. I didn't know what any of that whole scene was for, except to show that the dude didn't really. He, well, he wasn't mad at Kirk. That's it. Y- yeah. It's nothing. It's no. You're right. It's nothing. It's <sighs> not anything at all. Mm. Um. Yeah, Ben didn't. Ben's only quick hitter was Christians and Romans. Ugh. Yep. So. All right, we're through three of them. We are. Second place last week. This is a weird thing to say. Second place last week was Enterprise. Yeah, it's, again, and DS9 was down in fourth last week. Something weird yeah. happened. 
this week we watched Extinction. Uh, uh, yeah, so peppy. They're so chic. Uh, They're so haughty. <laughs> Incidentally, this is the first one that was labeled Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, interesting. Okay. This is the first episode that aired as Star Trek Enterprise instead of just Enterprise. <laughs> they really were any idea was on the board for how to get viewers. They were desperate. All right. We see an alien chased through the jungle by some spacesuited goons. Mm. And when they catch him, they burn him up with flamethrowers on the Enterprise. Trip reports to T-Pol's quarters with some stasis-preserved Georgia peaches. So their Passive-aggressively forces her to take a bite. So their lips can get all wet, I bet. Yeah. And then it's massage time again. Fucking shit. Uh, also, we learn he's ticklish. Archer interrupts on the intercom, though, so T-Pol doesn't, T-Pol doesn't even get her shirt off. Thank God. And uh, they get called up to the command center. Because he's been working on these Zindi star charts... And he's figured out that the last place this Zindi ship visited was this uh, jungle world. Mm-hmm. And he wants to go there. Okay. So they go there. Uh, they detect a landing craft on the surface, but no nearby life signs. And Archer takes most of the main cast down. Yes. Archer, Reed, T-Pole, and Hoshi take a shuttle pod on down there. Uh, the pod he recognizes as being from the Zindi database... And as soon as the team starts to spread out and investigate, Hoshi finds the burned body uh, from the teaser. And then another burned body. Mm. Uh, And immediately, things start going wrong with the crew. Teeple notices that her veins are all fucked up, and she gets some extra veins on the side of her head. And she goes back to the pod, and she finds that Reed has transformed into some kind of... A lizard caveman. Yep, be kind of like the one we saw in the teaser. Yeah, a little bit like the guy from the teaser. Yeah. And uh, Archer is undergoing the transformation as well. So T-Pol calls up to the Enterprise. uh, But before she can tell them to send a security detail down, which seems like just just very bad advice. Yeah, she needed to lead with... um, She needed to say, in environmental suits... Right. Send but down a security didn't. team. <laughs> uh, she tells him something's happening to them, but then Archer starts speaking in a weird alien tongue, mm. and he and Reed and Hoshi uh, all attack her and chase her. Yeah, speaking of Star Wars, they really sounded like they were doing kind of a Star Wars alien. It was a little bit Huddies, wasn't it? Yes. I think at one point he even says Solo, and I went, hey! I think he does say Solo. <laughs> uh, she collapses, and I guess they weave a net because they carry her back to the pod in one. Mm. And they do a lot of unsubtitled hissing and babbling. Yeah. Before Archer unties her and she gets the universal translator from Hoshi and she starts trying to get them to speak. Uh, on the ship, Trip wants to get down there, but Flocks uh, listened to the message, I guess, and he figures out that the crew has been altered and that's he's getting their weird life sign readings. Right. And he wants more time to study them, but Trip overrides him and they go down and ev suits once they get the universal translator working it turns out that the transformed members of the crew are looking for urquat Hmm. 
and only Archer seems to remember anything about Enterprise or have any response when T-Ball talks about Enterprise, probably because he loves his ship like a woman, as all Starship captains do. Yeah, see, I read this as he's still boned out for T-Ball. Uh, by the way, it could be because he treats her real nice. Yeah. They fight over some mealworms, which Archer tries to share with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Trip's party shows up, and they have a fight. They stun Reed. And T-Paul sends them back uh, to sickbay with him while she stays below with Archer and Hoshi. Right. So that they can start working on a cure for this fucking thing. Yeah, on their search for Urquat. Yeah. Uh, Phlox discovers a mutagenic virus in Reed's blood and uh, theorizes that T-Paul's Vulcan K cells neutralize it. So he needs some of her DNA in order to make an antivirus. Yeah. But at this point, Two alien ships show up from a race which is never named. <laughs> and their captain, which is never named, annou- who is never named, announces that Enterprise is under quarantine and that they need to destroy Reed. That's true. I didn't even look on Memory Alpha or anything. How are these guys referred to? I'm sure they have a name just like from the script. Right. Uh, but I will be referring to them as the containment ship or the containment aliens, okay. containment patrols, because that's the best I can do. Yeah. Uh, Trip invites them over to discuss it, but promises a fight if they try to neutralize Reed. Uh, Archer has a dream, which we have to see, in which he finds the entrance to an underground city and then sees the real version of himself in the dream, like in that cave in Star Wars. Mm. Uh, but then he wakes up and he tells Hoshi about his dream of Urquan and about the thousands of the Lokeke waiting there for them. Mm. Uh... And then we cut back to Enterprise, where the uh, containment captain tells Trip that the virus was engineered by a race called the Lokeke, who had lost the ability to reproduce, um, but that they had to kill like 10 million of their own people because the thing was just spreading and spreading. Yeah. And he has orders to contain the outbreak, and also his people have just detected the others on the surface, and they're going to send a team down there. Yeah. Uh, At this point, Trip suddenly remembers that he had Tipo bite a peach, so he goes and gets it and brings it to Flock so he can start working on the DNA thing. Right. And Archer leads Hoshi and Tipo to a series of caves, but when they get to Urquat, it is a ruin. No one has lived there for a long, long time. Yes. Um, they hear footsteps approaching, and Tipo makes them all rush deeper into the city, and they fight off two of the alien soldiers... And one of them gets a breach in his environment suit, so his friends roast him alive. Yeah. And uh, when, then the others catch him outside, but before they can kill him, Trip and a Mako beam down and stun everybody. They uh, take the shuttle pad, pod back up and uh, warp out as soon as they dock. But the aliens chase and start shooting at them. But then there, has when to they, be, there has to be a space fight. It's Enterprise. Yeah. Then they get him on the horn, and luckily Archer and Hoshi show up on the bridge, and they're mostly back to normal. And uh, this guy's pretty reasonable and lets him go uh, in exchange for the antivirus. There you go. Well, they've been working 60 years on it. They need it. Yeah, one last... I think he makes the right decision. It's just... seems like this guy has a lot of uh, authority here. Yeah. Or he's acting like he does. Uh, in sickbay, Phlox offers to destroy their last sample of the virus on board, but, uh, Archer reasons that the containment controls are going to sterilize that planet, and, uh, that virus he's holding is the last of a species, really. Mm. And he won't let it be wiped out. 
Mm. What's this episode about, Matt? All species have a biologically driven need to survive and procreate. Which I say, so what? <laughs> That's kind of a so what take. Yeah. Um, humans are on this dumb old mission to avoid extinction at the hands of the Zindi, who did their thing to avoid extinction at the hands of humans. This alien race will firebomb everybody in the galaxy to avoid extinction, and the dudes who made the virus did it to avoid extinction. So I guess that's what they were trying to do, but that's like, thanks for the biological fact. Yeah. Now what would you like me to do? Yep. What is the call to action here? It was a three for me. Uh, ben has it as a four. All living things have a right to life. Oh, right. But he either lost his notes or forgot to take any. So <laughs> uh, that's fine. Yep. Um, yeah, no, we're sort of, uh, we're on the same page here. I have don't judge too harshly what others do to survive. Uh, these contaminant aliens killed at least 10 million of their own people. Mm-hmm. The OKK created this virus to survive. Yep. It's kind of a sinister and not very Star Trek take. And as always, it's helpful to remember that this is immediately post 9-11. That's right. Um, but it's not Star Trek. Uh, and it's also not broadly applicable it's a three for me okay execution execution uh i gave a three as well you know how i feel about a dream sequence i was gonna say does the fact that it was biologically implanted in him matter at all or just that we had to see it i had to see it okay. if he described it <laughs> okay. if he just wakes up on that log and tells Hoshi i had a dream, dream had, about Iroquois. that's fine right solo uh, um I don't know why they thought these actors could pull this off. Boy, I had I was very embarrassed. I got a tummy ache watching uh, Jonathan Archer do that. Uh, none of them are good. No. Not, uh, Hoshi's not good. Nope. Reed's not good. They're not good dancing around in this ape makeup. No. At least in Identity Crisis and um, Barclay's Protomorphosis Syndrome. Genesis. Genesis. We don't get a lot of the actors in their animal forms. Like, it's kind of like Jaws. You don't really see it that much. Yeah. You get Riker. Less is definitely more. You get Riker in the ready room. (laughs) But, like, that's probably 30 (laughs) seconds total, right? Yeah, they stun his ass. Uh, Just shadowy whatever Worf has turned into, right? Right. Yeah, you get a little bit of what's his name. Five seconds of Troy in the bathtub. Barkley, the the weird real-life right-wing pundit or whatever he is now. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Flopping up against the glass. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no idea what the Zindi were doing on this planet. Yeah, we never really get into that. Did one of them get infected and go there like a homing beacon? Like, uh, there was a Zindi pod down on the planet. It's true. They could have wrapped the that up. The ship didn't land there. Also, uh, have we forgotten about space anomalies? There don't seem to be any issues with them in this episode. Aside from the fact that Flocks at some point says, I don't know, man, in the Expanse, maybe biochemistry is weird, too. There's no... We're sort of are no longer tied into this weird region of space here. It's just we're somewhere that Archer doesn't know, but that's everywhere. It was a weird, pointless filler episode diversion. Yeah. So it's a three for me. Yeah, Ben has it as a one. Uh, dumb look inside Archer's chest so they can speak his native language right away without learning it. None of this makes any sense. How can they just become aliens? They make the aliens seem like brutish animals, but they're supposed to have been fairly advanced civilization. Yeah, that's all true. Oh, yeah, and by the way, uh, I don't like dream sequences. They did zoom into inside Archer's chest. So oh, yeah. 
nuts to that too yeah for me it was a three uh did not enjoy the alien acting the weird horror aspects of this episode didn't like the massage and feet talk in the beginning you didn't mention the feet talk there was foot there was foot i said he was ticklish i know but specifically i guess i didn't say that he was worried that his feet wouldn't smell nice yep it was also a weird diversion from this indie chase as you mentioned like did they want a serialized plot or not I think that the writers wanted one and the producers were afraid and this was the dumb compromise they reached. Yeah, because this is just back to weird shit happening in space. Kind uh, of. With like a Zindi framing device at the beginning. Like, oh, we're here because the Zindi went here. Like, if you didn't write enough Zindi plot for this season, that's dumb. But like you said, maybe it's the network complaining as always about syndication stuff. Yeah. There's someone's going to randomly watch this episode and it should be able to stand alone or whatever. Um... So yeah, for me, for all of those reasons, it was a three. Um, world do they do any better world building wise? Enterprise has uh, stasis that they use produce in. They put the produce in stasis. Yeah. Uh, one Zindi species evolved out of an arboreal primate. They say in the beginning. Yep. Uh, the database Archer stole last week uses different coordinate system that he has to decode. Yeah, why wouldn't it? Why are humans susceptible to everything and Vulcans are susceptible to nothing? <laughs> well, that's not true. They get that weird AIDS if they mind meld. Yeah, but humans can't mind meld at all. So, like, what if they mind meld? Are they going to get it? <laughs> uh, hasn't t t Paul already mind melded with a human? <laughs> they might have it. They should probably get tested. Yeah. Uh, laws of biochemistry are naturally also maybe shrugging emoji nutso in the expanse. Yeah, they're real anti-scientific about this expanse. Yeah. They're kind of just like, we just accept that this is an anything-goes place. Mutagenic virus that somehow changes your entire body within seconds that doesn't cause enough trauma to kill you. Because, yeah. you know, it's the expanse. It's another one of these viruses that violates laws of thermodynamics. It infected tens of millions on this other dude's world, the Lokeke. Lokeke? Yeah. Made it uh, to transform other species into their own. Why and how does Phlox have the virus in that vial? I thought he wiped it out in the crew. So, like, where did hey, that come from? Uh, I'm going to ask you a question now based on Star Trek Online. Oh, okay. Do we eventually run into a species in Voyager that does something similar, but they just do it to dead people? Mm. Maybe it's not explained in Voyager. Maybe that's the STO part of it. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really remember it. They end up finding Harry Kim's body floating in space. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And they turn him into one of them. So oh. I don't know if they put that in STO based on this episode of Enterprise or if this episode of Enterprise stole a plot from Voyager that you don't remember. I wouldn't be what. surprised. But yeah, there's a lot of Voyager I don't really remember that well. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, for me, it was a standard three, but I could see a two. Like I was borderline. Well, I gave it the standard three as well. So and so did Ben, by the way. Okay. Oh, no, sorry. Ben gave it a two. Yeah. You're right. Uh, but, uh, Vulcan K sells. Uh, the Expanse seems to be a little more civilized than the pirate last week let on. Yeah, the, these uh, these container like, guys seem okay. Yeah. They seem like uh, pretty decent dudes. They they're First of all, they're not uh, driving around beat up scavengy ships. Yeah. They seem... They're reasonable. It's always nice to run into a reasonable antagonist. Yeah, they must have uh, insulated their ships with whatever. It's Trallium D. Trallium, Trallium D, which still sounds like a medication that you'll see on TV. <laughs> it's true. It does. 
Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I think we did the standard three on this one. Okay. Uh, ben, it's, ben, it's a shame that they that they forgot about the Zindi. Yeah. Yeah, Ben gave it a two. He liked the other captain's uniform. It seemed Romanesque. Okay. This is he. This is one of these aliens that's mostly distinguished by like a piece of bone that sticks through their forehead. Yeah, they had a ridge. One of them ridge yeah. aliens. And he was, uh, he was wearing kind of, uh, kind of like a toned down Spider-Man costume. Is kind of how I thought of it. Yeah, it was superhero-y a little bit. Yeah, it was a little superhero-y and cut. It was kind of a boat neck, and it was red. And he was pretty cut too. Oh yeah, I know. Got a jacked guy for sure. I'm not blind. Well. That's how actors are in the 2000s. That's right. Everyone was jacked in the aughts. Everyone remembers when people were jacked in the aughts, right? (laughs) (laughs) Only aughts kids will remember (laughs) when all TV actors were jacked. Taking a note. (laughs) Um, Characterization. Yeah, do it. I guess... T-Pole and Trip are both reasonably competent in this episode. Yeah. Neither one of them really uh, shits themselves too badly. Phlox is fine. Mayweather gets to sit in the big chair. Uh, No one did a really terrible job, but it's like, there's no way I can award points for the aliens. I know, it makes it tough. And then at the end, Archer's decision to save this race is pretty hypocritical, (laughs) considering the one he doomed to extinction on the basis of Phlox saying their DNA said they were at a dead end. Phlox is consistent in this one, because he's still like, nah, just wipe it out. But you're right, Archer's suddenly like, no. No. It's the last. And, of course, Archer is not... Uh, self-aware enough to ask whether it's because he, he lived as one for a day. Because he's still kind of one. So in terms of characterization, no one did a real terrible job, but there was no there was no good work. I only gave it four points. I was 100% with you. It's a four. Uh, T-Pole and Trip are back to knocking boots, unfortunately for us. Why is T-Pole put out by Trip canceling sessions? Like, she needs that D? She needs it? Dog, they have not actually fucked at this point, right? Well, I don't know. It's They keep talking about how intimate it is and they gotta be naked for it, and I don't know what happens. I don't know about sex. Yeah, but this is Enterprise. If they were actually fucking, they would just they show, would them show it in yeah. some obscured way. Like a, like a little shimmery blanket would be covering their bottom bits and they'd be grinding away. A exactly. Of, a lot of side boob, aggressive side Precisely. boob. Precisely, yeah. yeah. Um, T-Pole seems worried Archer will ruin any Zindi he gets his hands on, whether they're involved with this Council of Doom or not. Um, she is worried about it and... I think with every right to be. He seems crazed, so yeah. How many cat suits does she have now? She's got a blue one and kind of a salmon-colored one. And then in this one, she wears that white one. She's got the white one. But that's not just her standard white away mission uniform? No, it looked different. It was a new white okay. one. Um, And then she's got her old ones. I don't know if she's going to wear those anymore. Those were Vulcan issue. Ooh, why she can't just put on a fucking Enterprise jumpsuit? Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Um, uh, she decides to stay down on the planet with Archer and co instead of, uh, going back to the ship for some reason. I think it's reasonable to limit exposure. Take Reed back. He's unconscious. Yeah, but they're going to put him in the, the, uh, the decon area. Yeah, sure. Um, Trip, like me, worried about the coming foot stuff. 
Yes. He started he the, is not he's not into it. He started the backpedal on it and I was right there with him going, You stand up for yourself. You don't let her do that stuff to your feet. Uh you don't have to get feet involved in this if you don't want to. That's right. He uh, also does not back down when this gruff ridged alien shows up. Um, Phlox created an antivirus in like half an hour, so those other dudes uh, gotta be really pissed off. They worked on it for 60 years and nothing. They didn't, well, they didn't have Vulcan K-cells. It wasn't yes, fair. they didn't have the uh, the alien species immune to everything. Um, I, like you said, it was just a little bit on the below average side for me. Did you bother to write down uh, any quick hitters? I've been giving it a two for characterization, saying no one was themselves the entire time, and it was painful to watch the alpha male fight between Reed and Archer. Yeah, they literally fight over a coconut full of mealworms, mm-hmm. so it was painful to watch. Although, I did I did actually kind of like when Archer lets him eat the way he sidled up to him. <laughs> yes. It kind of felt real, like he'd watched a monkey do it in a documentary or something. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This alien in the teaser. First of all time in all of the Star Treks ever to run full speed on camera. <laughs> it's true. Like 40 years of slow trotting on screen before this dude sprints around and gets fucking flamethrowered. Yeah, ordinarily they have to work real hard to avoid showing off that they've only got 20 feet to run in. Yep. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it, by the way, it turns out a human can cover 20 feet like almost instantly. instantly. Yeah, right away. Yeah. So this set that we've set up cannot accommodate it. But this dude, I think, is why even when they're jogging on Injustice, yeah. that's faster than they usually run. Yeah, they outside, they got space. Exactly, they're just shooting at that UCLA library or whatever, <laughs> so they got space. Are they shooting at USC? But it's got a sign that says Harvard on it. Sorry, something like sorry, that, that's yeah. from uh, the terrible K drama love story at Harvard. Um. <laughs> So anyway, as I was writing down, and then the dude gets flamethrowered, I went, hey, wait a minute, that was pretty grisly. It's more than a little bit grisly. Like, maybe I'm not even watching Star Trek, let me check. It says I'm watching Star Trek, but it could be a glitch. And then I reloaded Netflix to make sure I was watching Star Trek. (laughs) Because that guy sprinted, and then there was flamethrowers. That's true. Uh, A horror episode of some kind, outstanding. Um kind of turns out not to be no but in that first when they're all going undergoing their change yeah and it was right after the flamethrower i was like what oh, is it this? starts with a lot of body horror for sure uh, and then i said oh no archer has to act like a weird alien it's embarrassing i'm getting a tummy ache stop taking notes they all went for it by the way they really did they committed to it they committed to it and uh, you you got to wonder if they were like, yeah, no, it's a, it's an acting challenge. I'm into it. I'm going to I'm going to give it my best. This is why I got uh, into acting. I had almost no quick hitters on this one. I wrote, I can't take much of this alien pantomime. I hope it's not the whole episode. <laughs> oh, too bad. And then I wrote, oh, God, who thought these actors were capable of pulling this off? And then I wrote, oh, God, this CGI city is the pits. <laughs> it's like when you're watching the first few minutes of The Waterboy and you go, is, is he going to do this accent the whole time? And then he does. And he just he does. does. And you go, oh, boy. This week I gave uh, Best Actor to Trip. Okay. And uh, Worst Actor to Alien Hoshi. For some reason she was worse than the other two. She didn't seem great. I think they also did a thing where she was like jealous of Jealous of T-Pol. It wasn't good. I didn't like it. Again, uh, I mean, Ben made made a very good point. These 
people were supposed to i mean i don't know if they were a spacefaring race but they definitely got their others they knew about other species and they yeah. got their other species transforming virus to another world that works on every species except Vulcans. And it works on every species except vulcans i guess vulcans are not it makes sense that it would work better on their neighbors than on vulcans but still yeah uh the but but boy, once it transformed these guys, they sure are animals. They're dumb animal people. For, yeah, 100%. Uh, maybe that's part of their transformation, and they would eventually become eloquent Nausicaan. No. <laughs> maybe but, those Nausicaans we met in TNG were a bit transformation. <laughs> that's right. The, the ones, the, exactly. Uh, well, you know, the ones we meet are from a weird uh, Q <laughs> fantasy. Maybe. So maybe Q's putting it on for Picard. Maybe he's never the, met a Nausicaan. He didn't know. play Dom Jot. He heard Picard's description of it one time about fighting some Nausicaans. He's like, I don't, I've never met those guys. I don't know what they're like. Ooh, hey, one more. Last week's winner was Enterprise. Uh, was TNG with Booby Trap. This week we watched The Enemy. Uh, uh. I hope you got a whole hour. Uh, an away team of Riker, Geordi, and Worf beams down to a hella gross planet full of dry lightning and wind-blown dust. One of them yeah. Star Trek hell planets. Geordi detects some debris, and Riker and Worf recognize the markings as Romulan. Very sinister. They only have 12 minutes to investigate before their beam-out window closes, again because of the shit weather. Worf finds a wounded Romulan who tries a zombie choke on him. But Worf clubs his ass with that Starfleet issue open palm strike. Yep. Meanwhile, Geordi falls in a hole. Yep. He didn't get as much done as Worf on that. The crew of the Enterprise D is susceptible to pits. <laughs> we saw uh, it in the Arsenal of Freedom. We saw it in Arsenal of Freedom. <laughs> uh, now here. Um. Anyway, uh, Riker... Luckily, Jordy landed in an inch of muddy water so he didn't break his leg. No, he just really felt embarrassed, I think. Uh, Riker and Worf beam back up without him. They take that Romulan with them. Because, you know, they're going to miss their beam-out window, and no one wants to spend any more time on that damn planet. Yep. <clears throat> back on Enterprise. Uh, Worf, Worf makes a move like he's going to go find Jordy. Yeah, Riker. But he does seem relieved when Riker tells him <laughs> to stay, stay where he is. He's like, I guess I'm expected to do this. I have shouted over and over again for battle come to me, so... Here we go. Uh, back on Enterprise, Picard and Riker discuss the prospects of a Romulan invasion. Why else would they be on this planet? While O'Brien tries to find a way to beam Geordi back, but it's so hard. Dr. Crusher says the Romulan will need a blood transfusion or something if he's to survive. Also, the magnetic fields on the surface are melting his brain real good, and Geordi could be in the same danger. Yeah. They wake the Romulan up in order to interrogate him. He says he's alone. Um, in the mission, but he won't answer any other questions. So Riker and Picard immediately figure he's not alone. <laughs> exactly correct. Well, it's always a chess game with the Romulans. Move, counter, move. I've never met them, but, uh... But they turn to each other and say it's the only thing, only thing he wanted to answer. Yes. And the other one says, which leads you to believe that it's not true. Jordy acts out that scene from The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, where Batman tries to climb out of that prison. Yeah. But he's no Batman and he falls on his ass. Um, Wesley comes up with an idea of like uh, a dang old techno babble probe that they can shoot down through the storms and it'll uh, shoot off some kind of signal that Jordy's visor will detect. 
then they intercept a transmission from Romulan space. It's Commander Tomaluk in his introduction. The first time we see Tomaluk, right? Yes. Trying to raise the scout vessel, Pi. Tomaluk says he's entering the neutral zone to come and retrieve the crew. Picard hails him and says, hey, uh, we got don't do that. We got that message. We heard, yeah. we, heard hey, we, we heard you. We heard that one. And don't do that. <laughs> That's not what you should be doing. Uh, don't enter Federation space. Uh, Tomaluk calls him and goes, oh, uh, that voicemail you heard me leaving? That, uh, I thought I was calling my brother. Or something. Um, he says, uh, yeah, it's a one-man craft. Uh, I'm going to rendezvous with you guys at the border of the neutral zone in five hours to retrieve my man that you've got. But uh, he was the only one for sure. Back on planet hell, Jordy does escape from that uh, pit with the tools that you mentioned earlier that he builds. And heads toward that probe, but whoops, he gets knocked out by a second Romulan. Yep. After Chekhov's Romulan, basically. <laughs> That's right. Well, like earlier, we had Chekhov's Tasty Peach. In this one, it's Chekhov's Romulan. Oh, and don't forget Chekhov's missing communicator. That's right. <laughs> Happens every time. Um, oh, so, I mean, DS9 was careful to avoid it, I guess. Right after he wakes up, a shit ton of rocks fall on this Romulan that knocked him yeah. out. And bust him up real good. But he keeps his pistol, and after Jordy helps him into a cave, uh, he keeps the thing trained on Jordy. Back on Enterprise, Crusher tells Worf that uh, they tested everybody, and he is the only one who can donate what this Romulan needs. Worf is not interested. No, he's all in his feelings about his dead parents. Yeah. Jordy notices his captor is in super bad shape down on the planet, and they spar a bit. And uh, Romulan says some stuff that really crosses a line about how all humans are going to be extinct. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jordy deduces that it must be this garbage place um, that uh, is even messing with him even more than the rocks did. But Yeah, Jordy, d- <laughs> Jordy does skip right over the conclusion. <laughs> maybe this guy's got internal bleeding like, from that rock fall. Like four, goes, 400 rocks fell on him. But. And goes right to the same thing that's fucking up my visor is probably what's messing up your metabolism instead of just uh, you're, you've, you're you know, like trying to dying. press his abdomen to see if it's got stiff because he's bleeding in there or whatever. Um, this guy's name is Bakra, it turns out, and he's not going to let Jordy attempt to get to that probe and escape. Uh, Tomaluk calls again, saying, I'm pretty near the border now, and I don't see you guys. Picard finally tells him he can't leave Galorndon Core, that's the name of this hell planet, because his crewman is still stuck on the surface, and uh, he can't leave him there. Tomaluk says again that he will come to them, but Picard shuts that shit down. Just as Geordi convinces Bakra to let him find the beacon and signal Enterprise, his visor cuts out, leaving him blind. Yep. There's a lot of back and forth between the planet and Enterprise on this one. Uh, back on Enterprise, Worf comes to get advice from what he thinks is the greatest human, Riker, uh, who works on him saying Klingons and humans used to be enemies. Maybe someday Romulans can be their friends, too. At that point, Worf is called to sickbay so he can watch the Romulan die. This is a cool crusher tactic. Yep. Worf is... I mean, she saw Picard do it two weeks ago when he brought... <laughs> What's her name? The uh... Nuria yes. to, the, to watch that scientist die. Worf is maybe considering helping him, but the guy is a real ass, so... Well, he doesn't help his case any, for sure. Worf's final answer is no thank you. Back on the planet, Jordy's ready to quit, because he can't even see well enough to modify the tricorder to detect the neutrinos coming out of that probe. 
But Bakra says he'll fucking do it then. So Jordy walks him through the process. Well, he does, but what he specifically says is, then I will be your eyes in kind of a romantic comedy movie yep, moment. they're a real odd couple for sure down there. Yeah. Tomaluk now gives up on waiting for Enterprise and crosses into Federation space. Red alert. Uh, Picard asks Worf to his ready room to give him one more pep talk. Worf says he will uh, agree if ordered to give the Romulan his sweet, sweet blood. Uh, which, of course, Picard cannot do. So they've hit a stalemate and the Romulan dies sometime prior to this conversation anyway. <laughs> or maybe during it. I don't know. Hard to say. Crusher doesn't seem like she's immediately in the middle of trying to save his no, life. No, she says so. he's died. So She really does have a sound like she just took her gloves off. Mm. Tomalok shows up and is told about his dead crewman, and he prepares to assault Enterprise for it. Just then, Bakra and Jordy modulate Wesley's probe thing, and Enterprise detects the change. Uh, Data reads two lifeforms on the surface, and they assume it must be another Romulan. That second Romulan. Check off the Romulan. Well, they don't know about Baroth. Barash. Barash. <laughs> Picard decides to try his luck with Tomalok one last time and makes a big speech to a silent Romulan commander about uh, trust and consequences, and orders his shields lowered so he can beam up Geordi and the uh, Romulan to the bridge. And, then he... and there will be another war if one of us doesn't take a first step towards peace while well, I'm going to take that step, etc., etc. Yes, and he beams him right to the bridge so that he can turn on the communicator and say, hey, here's your Romulan. Uh, Bakra tells Tomalok that Jordy saved his ass down there. He has returned to his ship, and Tomalok fucks off back to Romulus, I assume. Yeah, I mean, Picard says he will escort him back to the neutral zone, but then because they reused footage from the Antonian one, yes. the ships, two ships go in different directions. <laughs> Maybe we find out later that that uh, offer is rejected. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, what was this one about? Eventually, old grievances must be forgiven. Okay. Uh, it's explicit in Riker question so there's a scene that i don't think you mentioned where Worf comes to get advice from oh, excuse me i said he goes to see his who he thinks is the greatest human riker okay all right who then tells him that klingons and humans used to be enemies maybe someday romulans can be their friends too he asks Worf leading questions right mm -hmm. like he asks him uh all romulans forever forever yeah and and then is the romulans family supposed to take vengeance against you like yeah. essentially how does it end is what he's asking yeah he's sort at of at some point he's being someone is going to have to forgive this grievance right i think he's treating this like one of his space lawyer cases pretty much he is ready for this it's implicit in picard and tom Locke, and then picard makes it more explicit with his speech at the end also right that it's sort of the same thing is happening there right at some point we'll, we'll either have war unending or someone is going to have to take a step towards peace someone's going to have to Essentially forgive whatever caused the last war, which we don't know about at all. Yep. Um, and Bakra and Jordy, neither one of them have either a personal, like, blood feud type grievance or the responsibility to, like, maintain the official position of their empire. Right. And they figure this out more or less inherently and on their own, right? Mm-hmm. Um... I have no problems with this take, and I think it's a an important take to be making in 1990, 1991. Yes. The, as the, the Soviet Union was collapsing. At the same time as the Undiscovered Country or whatever. 
Right. Uh, I gave it seven points. I agreed with seven. I had a different take that your take is entirely true about the episode. I had, um, we're more like our enemies than we care to believe. Um, yeah, sure. Worf and his Romulan counterpart, uh, stuck in their bitter enmity for some reason. Uh, Picard and his Romulan counterpart. Uh, Jordy and his Romulan counterpart. They really do pair them off in this one. Yeah, Worf maybe and his guy are more like in a negative way, where they're stuck in this uh, sort of blind hatred. Picard and Tomalak are like in their need to keep their crew and their people safe, their empires or whatever. Which ultimately saves them from starting a shooting war. And Jordy and Bakra are fucking bros by the end after some, again, initially very unkind words early on. Yeah, Bakra is uh, unfriendly. Jordy is uh, responds with his usual sarcasm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you get more Trek than this? For sure, it's not earth shattering as a take, but it's very well. One, it was easy to identify, and two, it's, it's very. Star it's Trek. something that uh, in TOS, Kirk would just say out loud. He would have told you. He would have told you just like he said. Ah, it's Rome in the twentieth century. <laughs> cool. yeah. Thanks, Kirk. Uh, so yeah, so it was a seven for me. Um, and I believe well we're aligned again Ben gave it a 7 he says seems like someone thought it should be about the Cold War brinksmanship is a dangerous game but it's not that respect for the lives of your enemy is closer to it yeah Uh, maybe not too hot of a take but extremely Trek we were like super on the same page yeah we're really uh, all in line here Uh, Ben gives it a 6 for execution yep he references uh, seeing through Jordy's visor, good tension building a few times, lots of close in camera work, good tempo. How do you feel they did execution wise? Um, well, I'll just lead with it. I gave it a nine. Um, here's what I'll say. The only thing. OK, the part that's weaker than the rest is the stuff on the planet, which is yeah. still better than a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> um, yeah. And if you want to see like 40 minutes of the stuff on the planet there's that one where trip and that alien yeah is it trip or archer it was trip trip and they have a fist fight until they're friends basically yep uh and again so it wasn't bad it just it, it was a little bit cheesy how quickly they flip from sniping to being like best bros but it's it, yeah he definitely should not have said then i will be your eyes yes right things things like that but it was, I mean, it was fine. Um, but what happens on board Enterprise is actually pretty good, uh, which I normally don't say about Star Trek. Worf's character seems like sort of a fully realized person. He makes a choice that he admits to Riker, at least part of him thinks or knows is wrong. But he yeah. can't bring himself to do, like, the right thing since he is stuck in this place where he remembers his parents being killed by Romulans. Right. Uh, Picard and especially Patrick Stewart, uh, really good in this scene with Worf in the ready room, all the scenes with Tomaluk, the general feeling that he wishes he had never even got up that morning. Like, Oh yeah. Like Picard just had a real scary shit day. Uh, and finally the Romulans are shown as being just as diverse as humans. Like the wounded guy's a dick, but he's probably scared and angry. Yeah. Bakra starts off kind of like a brainwashed ass because he's never, like, met a human. And from what we've heard of Romulans, by the way, 
they have a lower opinion of Klingons than they do of uh, of humans, right? Like, yeah, they although they think they're both wastes of skin. We have seen we we saw uh, Sarek as a Romulan <laughs> wax quite poetical about his admiration for Captain Kirk. Yes. Um, yes, that was a great episode. <laughs> it got a lot of points. Well, first of all, that was a, like a 50-point episode, so we did think it was pretty great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And... Uh, You're right that, that that Romulan's going through a lot, and having Worf there is not... I think it probably steals him to tell him he'd rather die than have his blood polluted. Well, there Whereas we- maybe if it was just a... Hey, we found a Vulcan. Yeah, and also, I mean, look, he's in a different situation than Bakra. Bakra and Jordy are depending on each other. They're kind of on equal ground. Yeah. They both need to do something in order to get out of there. This guy, as far as he knows, is just up shit creek. Yeah, it's true. He is up there a prisoner of humans and dying. Like, he's in a different situation. So, but Bakra, again, I think Bakra seems brainwashed. Like, he's heard. Humans are bad. Starfleet is bad. Right. And as soon as he meets one, and it's fucking Jordy, who you can't right. hate. Like, he's a, this is, Bakra is a Japanese civilian in World War II. Yeah, ready to throw himself off the fucking mountain. Right, because they heard heard about atrocities that U.S. soldiers committed or something, but then it turns out Jordy's, like, not, Jordy's he's just not that chill. guy. He's super chill. Jordy's just not that guy. Doesn't even go for his fucking disruptor. Um, And despite all of Tomalok's bluster and, uh, even some harshness from Picard, he doesn't end up trying to murder anybody either. Like, he ain't gonna no. risk all-out war. When given the opportunity, he backs off. So this is really good Trek. Like, these are the bad guys. We've been told they're bad. They're scared of them. And yeah, they're even up to some shady business. They're on this planet for a reason. We don't know what it is. Yes, they're up to some shady business. Tomalock definitely lies. Yeah. However, the rest of his actions suggest that his motivation really is just to recover his people. Yeah. And I, I, so I, I'm with it. This is Star Trek at sort of its best. So for me, it was that, uh, that nine points. Yeah. Um, I gave it seven. Okay. There are a couple of things from, uh, just from a episode, from a TV point of view that I think there are just a couple more missed points. Okay. It's not necessary to have Wesley come up with the idea for the beacon and then cut yeah. to Jordy on the surface. Wesley Crusher. The beacon, Wesley Crusher. <laughs> yep. Yes. I already said the thing about let me be your eyes. <laughs> um, we also don't have quite enough information about the state of affairs between the Federation and Romulus to really understand what Picard is going through. Hmm. Now they're slow, but they've been slow building the Romulans since that season one episode, and it's mostly worked I'm out. Tay, it, I'm Tay. I'm the one on the left. No, and again, it mostly works out here. But if we knew just a little bit more about how the Federation and Romulus have interacted in the past, yeah. because we don't, when we see the Romulans in TOS, the war is already over. Yeah, everything we see on screen. Uh, regarding the Romulans up to now has been trying to prevent another war. Yeah, but also in that episode in TOS, they do straight attack everything with those torpedoes and shit. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So there could be a little more there. Um, but the the scene where Picard begs Worf but won't order him Ugh. to help the Romulan Ugh. is so good. Uh, this was always going to score score points. Yeah. So it's a seven for me. 
However, in world building, okay, uh, I only gave it two points. Okay. Uh, we have uh, beam out transponders. Mm-hmm. We have station Salem one, yes. which was the that's uh, the Pearl f- Harbor like f- thing. The fakie after the really. Uh, Crusher talks a little bit about the similarity of humanoid life forms to explain why it's possible that with all of these goddamn Vulcans running around this ship, Worf is the one who has the blood component that the Romulan needs. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess that could also be named as a weakness of the episode, that it yeah. seems very coincidental. but it, it is definitely, for plot reasons, Worf has the special blood. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I didn't think there was much actual world building done here. The relationship with the Romulans at the end is the same as it was at the beginning. Yeah. We suspect that they've done something sinister, but it's not war, right? Yeah, I actually suspect the, whatever they were doing sinister, why that was sinister blew up in their faces. Uh, well, something did. <laughs> yeah. Whatever they were doing on that planet did not go well for the pie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also though... They make a, this is another, this is just a writing error where nobody knows anything. They make a dumb mistake here where it turns out, it turns out that Galorndon Core is only half a light year from the edge of the neutral zone. Yeah. So the neutral zone goes through the star system Galorndon Core is in. <laughs> That's right. But does not include it? Nope. It was a weird board. It's a crazy definition. <laughs> So when he says it's a navigational error and Picard's like a navigational error that led that got this half, ship a, light half a light year away. It's like, hey, if you're going uh, at warp. Then I go, wait, that's just like a few minutes, right? At warp. Yeah. That's uh it's hard to believe that that's what they intended. So I didn't I didn't really dock him for that, but it's not good world building. Yeah. Uh what did you give it though? I was in the same place where I was on the other one where I said it's a standard three for me, but I could see a two. Positron scans. Um, oh, third real question, maybe. How does Jordy read? Like, <laughs> I've seen his crazy light show vision. How does he detect, like, those Romulan markings, for example? Like, if he looked at that, would he see them? That's a good question. I have no fucking idea how he reads. Um, Galorndon Core, Federation planet that Picard feels would provide cover for an invasion. Maybe because of its weird soupy storms? I don't know. Uh, half a light year into Federation space. Pearl Harbor and Station Salem 1. Hey, maybe that's what started the Romulan conflict. Who knows? Uh, well, we don't know, yeah. is the thing. Humans and fucking Vulcans can't give blood to this Romulan, or at least not the Vulcans on board. Um, What rank is Centurion? What is he? Yeah, I mean, it should be someone who leads 100 men. So it would be... But there were only two on that ship, and I, I, don't know, I have no idea whether he was the leader or not. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a good point. But, like, uh, you could think of that as sort of a company-grade officer. Yeah. So, like, a lieutenant or maybe a captain. Uh, the visor is using Android, but the tricorder's iOS. So yep. They're... They don't speak the same language. They don't speak the and same why language. would they? Yeah. Honestly. Jordy's had that visor a long time. Uh, you know what? It's only a two. I was, I was borderline, a... and I just read it, and I said it's only a two. But it does have a port where you can attach the visor, so, I mean... So that then why don't they speak the same fucking language? It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, you can plug it in. It, well, it ain't gonna do anything. But you can plug it in. Uh, uh, ben was a little more rosy on this one. He gave it a five. Uh, Salem 1, Galorndon Core, the Cold War with the Romulans is hotting up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Picard seems to genuinely think that the Romulans are a match for Enterprise. Yeah, we never actually really see yeah. one of these Diderotic ships fight the Enterprise. It's hard to but tell. The whether... assessment seems to be that they're pretty evenly matched. It must be based on some kind of military intelligence, but we aren't. Right. We're never clued in exactly. Uh, when the first when they see the Diderotic ship for the first time, I don't think they've seen a Romulan. Yeah. Ship, like face to face in a while. So uh, probably maybe it, even it, since before they had no they've seen them since they had the warp drive because they seen them twenty years ago at least. Yeah, the Enterprise C did anyway. <laughs> you know they didn't report back is the thing. <laughs> yeah, who knows what those ships did? Um, but he's a five on that, and uh, in terms of characterization, Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent, with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Oh, My brother did. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he's a nine. <laughs> he's a straight up nine on characterization. Uh, yeah, he says Jordy is not just a techie, but he can also MacGyver it when necessary. Uh, let's see. Riker is super not cool under pressure. We we know this. It is known. Yep. Uh, Jordy, however, is cool under pressure and starts a psychological warfare against the Romulan right away. Uh, of course, he's compassionate while the Romulans initially cold. Worf is hardcore racist against Romulans. Some good-ass acting by Picard in showing his disappointment in Worf. Agreed. Lots of small touches in those scenes. Yeah. Uh, and we might as well just do his quick hitters here, because he says he loves Jordy's attempt to needle the Romulan, includes calling him Commodore. <laughs> and as we know, Commodores are the most useless That's thing true. in the galaxy. TOS has taught us there's nothing worse than a Commodore. Look at this fucking Commodore over here. That's like when the, so he, somebody called him Dunsel last week. That is true. <laughs> you should have called him Commodore Dunsel. Um, so he is a nine in terms of characterization. Yeah. Where did you land? Mm, I landed on a nine. <laughs> oh. Worf is going to skip the beam out window, as you pointed out, and look for Jordy, but Riker doesn't let him. Um... He very much remembers seeing his parents get got, and like Batman, who, I've, <laughs> who I mentioned before, uh, he's not over it. Uh, he's definitely in crisis about it, but the Romulan being a dick to him finally convinces him he was probably right all along. The small touches in the ready room scene, I'll just mention Worf's here. He's so intentionally curt with each reply, like, let's cut to the chase. I'm not going to bail you out and volunteer for this shit. I will straight up tell you, order me to do it, and I'll do it, and put it on you. The ball's in your court. Which is, does he like Riker more than Picard? I feel like he wouldn't pull that shit with Riker. Uh, He probably wouldn't, but also I feel like he already has tried. Like, I think his going to Riker convinced him. He already knew he should do it, but going to talk to Riker convinced him he wasn't going to. Right. So now he's he's over it. Like he already gave the person he thought would have the best chance a, a, a chance to talk him into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And Picard's uh, argument here is basically, I fucking need you to do this. Maybe because of war reasons. Yeah. Uh, Riker gets uh, shouty with a dejected O'Brien, even though he didn't do anything wrong. In fact, just as uh, how his go-to in space is to shoot at everything, his go-to in person is to yell at everything. <laughs> It's true. Uh, and even the Romulan gets a good shouting at in his hospital bed. Uh, yes. Riker does do good work with Worf, though, to no avail. Again, I think it was space lawyer Riker showing up there. Uh, so this is one 
by the way, where I think that they are doing a very good job of showing and not telling. But Riker is on the wrong foot this whole episode because he's worried about Jordy. His old friend from the hood? Hood? Yeah, either the hood or the intrepid. He left him down there on the planet. And he's... And he had to make that call, and he's not happy about it, and he's pissy the rest of the episode. Yeah, the Romulans and no show one up and ruin his to party. Him, no one, like, uh, Troy doesn't come over and put a hand on his shoulder and say, I'm worried about Jordy too. Yeah, that's right. That would be a, you know what I that mean? would be an I will be your eyes situation. <laughs> they just let it happen yeah. that he's in a mood the rest of the episode. He certainly And that's is. why he's shouting at the Romulan about Galorn and Kor. Shouting at O'Brien and shouting at everybody. Right, exactly. Uh, this neutrino beam must have been something Jordy and Wesley previously discussed, because he knows right away it's a Wesley. Yep. He's also real chill with his captor from the start. He might already be used to being an abused prisoner. You know, Wesley's the only one not cool enough to just go up to him and be like, so, like, what do you see? (laughs) That's right. Like, everyone else doesn't want to get too into it with him, because they don't want to keep bringing up that he's different. Yeah, he said they've for sure had that conversation in engineering. Well, I don't know. I said, like, neutrinos and, uh, I don't know, all kinds of particles and shit. And so he's just like, ah, I got it. Um, anyway, is Jordy already used to being an abused prisoner? Because he's pretty chill. Well, he's already been through it with the pack leads. Because he's, he doesn't seem super worried about it. Uh, but he does get real sullen and wants to quit when he loses his sight. Honestly, he is tired and muddy. Yeah. And pro- probably, I don't know. Oh, I would not take me anywhere near that long to be sullen and, and want to quit. Yeah. As soon as I fell in that pit, I'd be like, I'm just going to die here. Who cares? Yeah, well, that'd probably be my whole plan. <laughs> they'd find you they'd find you a few days later and they'd go, what the hell was your plan? And you were like, he didn't even try to get out. I was going to lay here. <laughs> Thought maybe the water would just sweep over me. What, it worked, I lived. What do you want? <laughs> uh, Crusher, for sh- uh, also, by the way, a really good scene. Crusher for sure knows that Worf is going to reject her. Either that, or she has never been alone with him before and doesn't know if he might eat her brains. Because she softfoots this blood donation idea. She, like, as she definitely puts the whole desk between them. She does it as hard as you can. Real calm, slow movements smiles and full explanations of the whole procedure and like i think she even pretends like she didn't think it was going to happen when she says you're refusing to help it's right like she knew if she just asked him he he might throw her into space and then later she comes back hard with the hey let's watch him die together since you won't help me so i have to be here this is my job but but you're just gonna sit and watch yeah you fuck so I actually kind of liked Crusher in this. Seemed like she had a couple different strategies for Worf. Um, Picard is hard as hell with Tomalak, who, yeah. while obviously up to no good, probably is genuinely concerned about his crewmen. Yep. Um, he does not give in the whole time. He's fucking. He's like, if I've not been previously clear, let me be so again or something. <laughs> he's like. <laughs> Romulan starships do not enter Federation space unless they are prepared to do battle. Um, Picard in that ready room scene, uh, small touch master. He cannot understand why he can't get Worf to say, please stop calling me Debbie. Yep. Like he's said Debbie so many times and he's sure that Worf has For to come For the life of him, he can't understand. 
he's the anti-Janeway. So he does great work in convincing Tomalak not to destroy the ship when he needs to drop the shields. Yep. But also doesn't seem entirely impressed when Jordy says Bakra saved him on the planet. Yeah. He gives a look that says, this, not helping. this Romulan trash? Unlikely. Is Picard just as bigoted as Worf? Has he had an issue with Romulans in the past? Well, we'll never learn. <laughs> uh, unless it comes up in his in the new show, which is set post-Hobus. <laughs> the new show about his winery that we talked about? Oh, no, have you not heard? It's going to be about uh, Picard in the wake of the destruction of Romulus. Yes, I had, I had heard that, but okay. we had posited a much better show. Where I know, I want it to be about his winery. Where he's going to be on the vineyard. Um, best part of this episode, though? Data's lines are all reading off his console. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's it. He is not in the episode except to read things off of the panel in front of him. And that's fantastic. So it's a nine for me. Well, um, I had it at a seven, but you've walked me up to an eight. So all of my notes on this are good. And that's also part of it. Yeah. Obviously good Picard scenes throughout. I figure he must enjoy working against Katsulis because Katsulis is so big and theatrical. He's just a head on a screen and he crushes it. He's doing great jaw acting. Yeah, he's got like a good when job. He, when he lies to Picard and says there's only one man down there, he does some shit with his jaw where you're like, ah, everyone knows there's another man. Yes, he. by the way, he completely aware they already know. Yes. The, when he says that. Otherwise, he'd do a better job lying. Yeah, he has a hard job because you know he was sitting on a two two feet of set that looked like a Romulan bridge. Yep. And you did just pure face. His bridge um, didn't appear to go on forever like the one Tabok and Tay were sitting at. No. Where the bridge went back 700 yards. <laughs> he, they, they, for some reason, they had their bridge so that it could look down the whole fucking neck of the ship. Where Mark Alamo played a Romulan and the guy next to him played, I don't know what. Yeah, it's true. I'm Tay. I'm Tay. I'm the Romulan Tay. You'll only know that if you get the cards. If you, um, if you get the card, I'm, I'm the one Tay. Uh, Jordy is sarcastic when he's on the bridge and he's sarcastic with the pack leads. Why wouldn't he be with Commodore Bakra? <laughs> That's right. That's perfectly in character. Yep. Uh, Crusher's seething at Worf was very good. She knows how to play self-righteous. Yeah. Uh, Worf kind of just has to clam up and be stoic in this one. Yeah, the only time he opens you're, up is with Riker. You're right that he's good in that scene with his very curt answers, but uh, that's all he has to play for this whole episode is Kurt. His, his The only scene where you get anything is in Riker, is in that Riker scene. And even then, I don't know what Worf got out of that visit. Like, yeah. we don't learn that, really. So... Uh, I think it was good. I gave it, uh, I, like I said, initially a seven. I'm walking it up to an eight. Uh, quick ones. Yeah. Uh, did Ben put any? Yeah, he says he loves... Oh, I already, I yeah, already did the, Ben's. They're calling him Commodore. <laughs> Does Worf not know the difference between dysfunctional and non-functional? Or is it the writer? Because he says the communicators are dysfunctional <laughs> when they're down on that planet. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're just doing some weird shit. Do you, Matthew, think that they have to justify getting these costumes dirty when they write Jordy wakes up in a mud puddle? 
these new shits are wool. Is this like a meeting they have to have with somebody where they're like, we're going to put him in mud and they're going to be like, that's, that's going to be gross. a $3,000 costume. Though, you know, there's like 12 hour days too. Like it's going to be pretty bad. Yeah. It's going to, we're going to have to work hard to get this thing back to screen ready. Yeah. So also, by the way, I hope we're shooting out of order and the dirt scenes are last. Right. Yeah, exactly. Can we do that? Uh, the Romulan who is never named, but I think is named Patak. <laughs> That's what they call him. Uh, P-A-T-A-H-K is what they say on Memory Alpha. Uh, apparently Crusher says he has no obvious cranial trauma. Although when Worf gives him that open handed punch <laughs> some, to the nose, he does bonk his head on a rock right behind him. <laughs> And it is enough to make him lose consciousness. So. I've always said she's more of a research scientist than a medical doctor. <laughs> Seems like maybe, huh? Uh, again, half a light year does not seem that far for a ship that can travel at warp speed. Mm-hmm. There's no way that that much dry sand got into Jordy's wet boot. Yeah. When he says his shoes are full of sand and then he pulls it off and dumps out like five pounds of sand. Yeah, There's no way. He'd have to have the most fucking absorbent sock, absorbent socks in the fucking galaxy. Yeah. Um, when we uh, when Worf pulls up on Riker, Riker is sitting surrounded by a lot of small bottles of colorful liquid, <laughs> and a one big seltzer bottle. Has Riker been boozing? Are those weird alien liquors? Is he making custom perfumes? No, it's in his, his spare time. That's his Italian soda kit. Okay, <laughs> so he's doing Italian sodas in there. You know, it's, he likes hobbies, but he doesn't stick with them. He changes them up all the time. So this week it's Italian soda. Uh, Jordy and Data and everybody still wearing the three-piece uniform, mm. but Picard's already got the one-piece. I don't know if you noticed that. Ooh, he fucking upgraded. Yeah. Used his captain's privilege. I gave best actor to stop enlisting the aid of Lieutenant Worf Picard when he calls Crusher and tells her that. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff happening in his voice. Like he's dead inside a little bit. <laughs> kind of, yeah. And uh, worst actor was, you've come to see me beg for my life, Romulan. Uh, parentheses, Patak. Patak wasn't great. He was not a not a bright spot in this episode. Uh, you got them quickies? Yeah, I got a few. Um, after the fall into the pit, Jordy does a lot of looking around, but isn't wearing his visor. So, like, what's he looking at? It's a, good, it's a good question. He looks around for like 15 seconds. We're like looking from side to side like, what? It's like, bro, pick up your visor first. Um, Again, what's up with all this Commodore shit, Jordy? And why not make a play for the guy's weapon when the rocks fall on him? God damn it. Like he thought he could be nice enough to the guy that that's all that would matter. Yeah, Jordy just wants to leave. Yeah, but he'll leave faster he... if you got a disruptor. Oh, for sure. Ugh. But it's like... Holding the other guy at gunpoint is not even in his mind. See, that's Jordy for you. Yeah, um, typical Jordy. Again, Bakra might be a bad guy, straight up talking about humans being extinct. Like, what did they even do to him? Uh, how long do you think Riker has been parked above Wesley, right over his shoulder, just pointing at shit on the console and going, What's that? <laughs> a long time. Those are buttons, Commander. I need to push those to make the ship go. He literally is just parked right over him and points and goes, what's that? Sir, that fires the starboard thruster. 
Ah, uh, that's actually that would have been the time because he was sick of him. He would have turned around and gone, "I'm worried about Jordy too." <laughs> <laughs> By the way, what does he expect to see on Wesley's panel? Yeah, Wesley's like flies the ship. Just go look over somebody. Look over the tactical console. They do a lot of scanning over there. Go over there. Yeah, that's where the scanning is mostly. And also, gone. it's away from me. Go over there. Uh, that's all I had. Well, the numbers are in. Ooh, numbers. Uh, in fifth place this week with 16 points. Mm. TOS, Bread and Circuses. It's not good, but it's twice as good as the Omega Glory. Yeah, it's a real stinker, though. Yep. <laughs> the Omega Glory was worse. The Omega Glory was a real piece the of shit. The Yangs and the Cones. God damn it. Uh, that's the one that got... This... That's, sorry, I just want to point out that that one got zero combined from us on premise and execution. <laughs> that's right. The whole top half was blanked. Uh, t- fourth place uh, this week with 26 points, which is not terrible for fourth place. Not really, no. Uh, Enterprise with Extinction. Yeah, got 13 from each of us. Uh, we just didn't love seeing those uh, actors do that thing. Yeah. Uh, third place this week with 29 points. Voyager, fair trade. Uh, 29 points is real close to an average episode, which right now is sitting at 30.88. But it's actually so, above average for Voyager. But Voyager is, has not scored. Yeah, you're right. Voyager's average, even after this week, is 26.6. That's very poor. Voyager's been very bad for very long. It's like this episode that was nothing. I mean, it's nothing. Was no, much but, better than most Voyager episodes. <laughs> yeah, better than a lot of most of the recent ones. Second place this week. Uh, really got robbed. Yeah, it was a good good score. DS9 put up 44 points this week, yeah. which wins almost every week. Well, let's just see when the last time we saw 44. We saw 44 in week 44, 10 weeks ago. Uh, yeah. It was Judgment Enterprise, and it won. Ah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> the best Enterprise episode so far. Yeah, it won, it won that week, but uh, you're right. Defiant didn't get lucky. Yeah, uh, but TNG did notch his 19th win with a 51-point episode. Is it the only one with two 50-pointers? Yeah, because I think there have only been three. Yeah, there's just, uh, what's it called? Oh, no, sorry. There oh, have the, been. Oh, they have, uh, they, had a, they have three because they had Q-Who. Q-Who scored 50. <laughs> Q-Who scored 50. So the Measure of a Man believe. scored 57, which is intense. Yeah. How much did we like The Measure of a Man? Wait, Taste of Armageddon got 52? All right, so TOS has got two. Oh, I was totally wrong. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah because Bounce Terror got 55. I didn't yeah. really think yeah. there were that many, but there have been five. Uh, uh, six. Six, because of Phage. Phage. <laughs> All right, there have been six. Never mind. <laughs> Still, uh, 50, 51 points this week. Yeah. Uh, better than I give it credit for when I think about this episode, The Enemy. Yes, it is the lesser of the season three Romulan episodes in our minds, I think. Yeah. Oh, boy. And in three weeks, three, uh, well, six weeks, but let's say three Star Trek weeks, we'll find out if that's true. Yeah. What's the points? Because they're going to be right back again. Our old buddy, uh, uh, Tomaluk, and everybody. 19 wins now for TNG. Yeah. It's uh, three ahead of TOS, six ahead of DS9. Enterprise has four. Voyager has two. It's starting to run away, and I would direct you to the score difference between Deep Space Nine and TOS at this point. Uh, seven points. <laughs> it has almost closed the gap. Yeah, TOS, which is three wins behind, uh, 
is a total of seven points behind. Given that next week is a backdoor pilot for another episode, uh, for another series yeah. for TOS, and the week after that is Spock's brain. <laughs> It seems likely that points-wise, DS9 is probably going to pass TOS pretty soon. Yeah, although I see something called past tense, and that... Oh, yeah, it's a two-parter. That bodes ill. A two-parter. I don't yeah, like anything it. with the word past in it. It's I, no good. I don't like it when they play around with time travel. Yeah, that is going up against Spock's brain and the Enterprise incident. The Enterprise incident, who knows, maybe it's not that bad. Yeah. It's got Romulans in it. And the only other time there have been Romulans in TOS, it was a good episode. So, yeah, we'll see. All right, well, then let's recap the rest of next week. Next week, Assignment Earth. Mm-hmm. The Price. Mm. This episode has some hard-to-watch things. Many. This episode Many. is Troy's Haven. So... <laughs> true uh it's tough to watch we'll see if it scores points it's tough to watch it's got oily feet it's got little uh singlets like one no like uh, leotards it's got sex talk it's got troy is very vulnerable to pick up artistry it turns out he touches her whole hair every one of her hairs he touches i fucking hate this this is gonna be a tough watch god damn it that means when we're on Uh, the clock and that's waiting for us uh luckily i get to watch it last (laughs) Oh, I mean, it's um, too. Okay. For, uh, DS, <laughs> the DS9 episode, we're watching... I'm oh, sorry, I watch it in the other order. I'll watch that one second. That's very bad. Yeah. Uh, DS9, we're watching Fascination. Don't remember. Uh, me either. Uh, Voyager Alter Ego. Don't remember. And uh, for <laughs> Enterprise Rajin. I, I assume that's how it's pronounced, but thanks, Enterprise, for like... Coming up with the worst episode. It's a title. real Jatrell. Yeah. It's a real Jatrell of an episode title. You think you are Voyager? What's happening? All right. Well, thanks for hanging with us, everybody. Uh, next week will obviously be a non-Star Trek. Uh, I'll do a mailbag or whatever. Uh, so send us mail. That's at Brother Date on the Twitter machine. Uh, you can send us your emails or audio clips to uh, brothers at brotherdate.com. You can find us on the iTunes or any podcatcher, and you can go to brotherdate.com. Check out any of our cool projects we've worked on in the past. See Landrew. Check out the latest. Um, anything else? I think that'll do. Thanks, everybody. I shall be your eyes. Uh, he did not know any better when he picked the genre name, or whoever did it, picked the genre name, Jizz. No! J-I-double-Z. You can't call it that! <laughs> you can't say that! 